Hey guys, this is Lou Screws, and it is February 2nd, and with us today is a member of the Intergalactic Mining Union. He's worked on Distant World 2 uh, Community Goal Mining Team. He's worked for Hutton Orbital, for Canton, and part of the Hacks Wing leadership. He's an advisor to Lay Radio Network Faction in Squadron. Professional Discord Lurker, Atris5060. <laughs> How's it going today, man? It's going really well. It's going really well. It's really great to uh, actually be, you know, talking with you guys. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, a bit of a starstruck, you know, kind of this feeling of, oh, my God, have I actually made it in the elite community that people ask to talk to me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, of course, with me also is, is, is Kai, you know, he's always here. So, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Uh, man, um, first of all, I, I just want to say thank you for joining us. And uh, I'm not sure how uh, Star Trek, starstruck you need to be. We're, we're we are very low on the low on the totem pole, but we are getting we are we are climbing our way up. So, uh, well, I, I, as I, I've you know, in conversations aside with I've had with Kai, I can say nothing but good things about the show so far. And it is uh, it's actually quite refreshing to see it. Yeah, uh, you know, from the eyes of guys who are just starting, you know, with this podcast. But so, you know, I know Kai's rather new to the game, where you have been around in the game for quite a while. But the way you guys talk about it, and the enthusiasm you have for it, it's really kind of refreshing, inspiring in a way. Well, thank you. Mm. Thanks a lot. So I know a lot of people are probably listening right now, going, "Imposter, fake news. That's <laughs> not the guy. I listen to Hutton every week. I know the guy." The guy sounds like this. Atrish fifty sixty here. So uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, you're the Hackscom representative that like types up the report to you know defend the mug, and they have somebody read it. So can you tell us a little bit about the story behind that? As far as like, it's such such a silly, crazy thing. Who does the voice, and how do they do it? Yeah, so that actually started out. Um... Oh, probably when we started getting uh, AX combat zones and things like that, with the incursion systems and everything going on with there, uh, Thargoids really ramped up their war against humanity. And I was probably only a few months in the in, in the Hut and Truckers myself because I was never really part of any major player faction before. Um, I kind of decided I wanted to join an active community, and I knew they had the show, and I've been listening to late radio for a while, so I always used to hear Cow and Edelweiss talk about it and you know I decided all right you know what I'll join them they seem like a good crowd and I joined on and then uh, I saw no one was really talking about the Thargoids so I approached the 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 heads of the podcast which would be um, I'm going to butcher his name but it's supposed to be 21 in French so Vineon mm-hmm. uh, we'll go with that you know it's been a few years since I had to actually learn French or speak it <laughs> um, but yeah, so I approached him and I said, look, you know, is nobody's writing this for you guys. I mean, I don't necessarily have the time and the capacity to show up on the show, but I'd be happy to write up the report for you guys to read. And yeah, so I, I started approaching it from that angle and writing up this weekly thing, summarizing, you know, all the infestation systems, all the incursion targets, so whatever eagle I was reporting trying to put a little bit of a narrative there and sending it over. And uh, sure enough, the big night that my first piece was supposed to be read out and everything like that, um, 
they allowed Commander Psycho Cow, um, <laughs> as many of you guys know him from Lave Radio and from Hudden as well. The man's involved in every project known under the sun, and he's also a man of many voices. So as the story goes, apparently he was out and about um, for work, and he had just talked to a very perky kind of secretary that was just like, you know, something out of a video game where it's like, you know, the elevator doors open and they go, oh, hello, can I help you today kind of thing. And he just decided to run with it. And naturally, when I heard it, I was just like, oh, my God, what has happened? I thought this was supposed to be like a serious piece. And I realized, no, <laughs> it's the truckers. So like, you can't do anything but laugh at it. And yeah, so he started doing it initially. And then obviously, uh, because everyone has real lives and things like that outside of the game, outside of, you know, things that you can't control, you have to focus on and things like that. In Cal's case, he's been working on a bathroom for the better part of God knows how long. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, on the off chance that Cal's off, uh, then, you know, uh, Vineon will pick it up. So and then uh, Commander Palantir will sometimes do it. Uh, uh, Mike, uh, Commander Snaz will also do it as well. Um, so it's pretty much whoever they can subject to trying to read it like this. Like, I remember I was on vacation, so I, uh, I wasn't able to actually write the report one time. So Commander Falco took the other guy who was leading up the hacks. Uh, Hackswing. Uh, really, he's he's the start of Hackswing. I kind of just was the he was the one who decided to actually organize the combat behind it and get Hacks structure set up. And I was tagged on with him as part of the Hacks leadership to you know be their inside man at Cannon, who was essentially lurking on Cannon's Discord and reporting the things that Cannon was reporting. Um, but yeah, so uh, he had to do it as well. And it was absolutely hysterical listening to the recording because he does these recordings essentially in a private room at work. Uh, <laughs> records it on his phone and sends it in. And he, like, he's like, I had about six takes. And afterwards it came out, my voice was destroyed. So it's become a bit of a running joke now that whoever has to do it has to really, really prep themselves to lose their voice. So like at big events like LaveCon and Elite Community Meets, uh, when they do a live show, I, I really, you know, hit it out of the park by giving them this ridiculously long <laughs> list of complicated system names to read just to hear them struggle to get through it. And then the best part is like, occasionally you'll just hear them give up halfway, go through and like, and you know what, this list is too long. And just like move on to the next paragraph. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So you and, uh, at the, you said Falco took, then you guys are comprised sort of the leadership of Hackscom for defending the mug, huh? Yeah, I mean, Fal uh, Falcato kind of took it to the level of organizing the group itself. So Hackswing is really under his leadership, and I am just more of their uh, kind of a liaison between them and Canon Research and AXI and Operation Ida. So he'll, you know, come on with that really cool voice and, that, you know, that whole, you know, hack, you know yeah, the whole intro that he does for Hackscom and his little recordings and things like that. And, it's usually right after my segment. It's usually because I've listed off the targets. He'll go, right, you know, Hackswing, we're focusing in the following systems today. This is where we're, you know, we have AX combat zones, get your ships out here, that kind of thing. And then um, with the actual Hackswing itself and organizing, he has the Facebook group and also the Discord and the TeamSpeak channels that we use for it um, to try to coordinate everybody there. Whereas I'm really just on the Discord posting, you know, the targets and writing reports. But 
Hackswing actually does have a third member, which is uh, a guy by the name of the original bastard or the original B. Uh, he's really active in Operation Ida now, and if he is, you know, a listener of this program, I really hope he is. You know, his work was absolutely fantastic. Writing up the weekly Reddit thread about what the Thargoids are up to, which oh, yeah. eventually got taken over by Commander uh, M. Graham over at Sai, as well as the Burr Report. I think also is doing it too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, he was the he was the third member of Hackswing, and he would cover me uh, in case I had to get, like a trip for work or something like that, and I was able to get on. There were times I've had to travel to the other side of the U.S., for example, to the West Coast, and time difference just wasn't going to work to be able to make the Hudden show. So, well, like, yeah, like, everything else, like everything else you'd, you'd get from or expect from Hutton Orbital, it's, it's a little bit of useful information and a whole lot of funny nonsense. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the best way to describe it, and that's you know part of the reason why I joined um, the truckers when I did back then uh, was really just to meet people that you know were like-minded and having a you know making you know making stupid events but having fun with it like there's nothing that Hutton has done that i thought to myself this is ridiculous why are we doing it? i've looked at it and go this is ridiculous it's so ridiculous that i just think it's brilliant it's funny and i just want to get involved like the current initiative the hot mess hot mess uh, yeah uh, yeah, which, you know, as it is, it's just, yeah, the puns just never stop with them. Uh, just the fact that we need to sell a mug to like all 54,000 stations is incredible. Like, and the fact that we're, I think we're somewhere in like 33% of the way there. Yeah. Goes to show you how much community involvement we've gotten with it. And it's, I think it's absolutely great. And then, uh, if you think about the other things that have kind of spun out of Hackswing as a result with the Hutton Truckers, like Hot Vacation, which was another really fun event. Where we said, okay, uh, working with Canon, specifically Commander LCU Fool Like No One, uh, really brilliant guy over there. And I can't, you know, thank him enough for all the hard work he does making all the Canon web interfaces uh, to mm-hmm. kind of like track the kills and everything like that that we've been getting in the Thargoid systems and the evacuations um, using ED Market Connector. Um, he does a little bit of plug-in writing there with um, uh, with Commander DeMaffey. Uh, so these guys have been working hard at this, and they made Hot Vacation where we saw a system that was going to be targeted. And we said, okay, let's let it. Yeah, it sounds terrible, but we said, there's no way we're probably going to be able to defend it successfully. There's just too many targets to defend. This is when we had like six systems to defend to prevent incursion, rather than it used to be once upon a time three. Um, we said, okay, what happens if we try to evacuate the entire population station after it burns? Do we, you know, can we lift an incursion that way without shooting a single, shooting a single Thargoid? So we got to do a little bit of an experiment between Hudden and Cannon, where it was a stupid enough idea where we're just like, you know what, we'll make a ridiculous travel agent, kind of like, you know, the, uh, if you go to the passenger missions lounge in the, in the station screen, there's always like a little travel agent person that describes the mission and the person you got to take. Mm-hmm. Um, we figured, okay, let's just give it a shot and, you know, make a recording. So LCU Fool, like no one did this whole recording and it was absolutely fantastic it was in there he's like you know oh we need to get all the you know i'm uh, the travel coordinator for this particular station and uh i'm just calling you guys to get us the fuck off this station for the love of god <laughs> so yeah he was now, uh, is, is that what eventually led to because i know now they'll put out on the anti-xeno initiative the report that like you know and on hacks they'll say and you know 
once uh, once we get everybody off the burning station, Starg loses interest in there. Is that where that was originally sort of discovered? That by completely emptying out the uh, refugees from a burning station, that the system state will will actually change. That the the Thargoids will lose interest in it. Well, that's actually, it was something that was bouncing around between Operation Ida, AXI, and Canon. And I was talking with them, I was talking mainly with LC Fool Like No One, because um, he is also, since he's also a, meta, a member on the Hutton Discord, I was just chatting with him about it. And uh, I kept seeing Operation Ida saying, excuse me, uh, where they were looking at the numbers of materials they had to deliver after a particular station had a certain number of people evacuated and they said, oh, do you know that something worth looking at? Does evacuations have any impact? So we started messing with it. And uh, at last year's LaveCon, uh, LCU Fool Like No One had a talk with Dav Scott there. And Dav Scott had said that uh, if there are other non-combat actions that count towards lifting incursion. So it really got us thinking about, okay, is there something beyond just shooting Thargoids to lift an incursion that we can do? And station evacuation seemed to make sense. So we said, okay, let's try it. We got to wait for the right time to find a system with a low enough population that's realistic. And sure enough, Hutton just came to the, you know, uh, we were more than delighted to try to be the guinea pigs for this. So we started Hot Vacation and it ended up being getting its own EDSM badge and everything like that. And uh, yeah, we managed to successfully evacuate the entire population of a system uh, from a burning station. And sure enough, it did impact uh, you know, uh, how an incursion it plays out. So, and then after that, we kind of were like, okay, well, if we don't want to focus on combat, we can just focus on emptying out, uh, uh, as I think as Falco took it, takes, uh, phrases it, the biscuit tin for, uh, for the Thargoids. Cause once the tin is empty, you're not going to want to go back. Right on, man. That's, that's very cool. I was always wondering how that was sort of discovered. And there's so much stuff with Canon research where, they literally just kind of go through and, and, you know, for example, uh, I, I found out how they found uh, armor values or whatever for the different Thargoid ships was by actually sending out repair limpets to them and then making notations on the data they received back on how, because you can actually repair a Thargoid vessel. And uh, from that, they extrapolated out the total value of, of uh, the armor and such. I found that really, really interesting that these guys are going through and, you know, doing this crazy, these crazy sort of experiments to gather data in in a truly scientific manner within the video game. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, the guys over there I have nothing but respect for, for all the work that they've done. So, you know, in particular, the guys who figured out the Eagle Eye decryption, um, you know, Commander Factabulous, who was probably one of the most prolific people to lead the initiative on coding Eagle Eye regularly and that and reporting and keeping everyone updated about what the new Thargoid targets were. Uh, Commander Maligno for doing the most insane things with any ship possible to blow up a Thargoid, but it's actually because of him that we actually know hull stats and damage stats for the Thargoids and how AX weapons, how effective AX weapons are against them Um, in terms of the DPS. Like, he did all the calculations. It's really quite incredible. And then he did a hyperdiction study Trying to figure out what are the prerequisites to be hyperdicted, which is something that thrown around after the hyper started months about how to like you know how does it all work? Is it really random? 
uh, yeah, he figured it all out. And, you know, the guys there have a very methodical approach. And, you know, I know Canon, um, a lot of people may look, you know, might get angry at them because they're, you know, taking away a lot of the mystery from the game because they're the ones sitting there looking under and trying to figure out how it all works. But you got to give credit where see, these guys are dedicated and they're thorough and they're happy to share their results. Like I, like, you know, personally, I, the Canon was one of the groups I was interested in joining. I, you know, got on their discord, I helped them out occasionally when I could, but there were other times where I just sat there and I was I have no idea how they're doing all this. It's just incredible. The thought process that went into this, you know, the amount of time that they dedicate, but the fact that they share all their data with the community uh, and their findings as well, I think it's just amazing. Some groups, you know, if you find an advantage, you're not going to want to necessarily share it. Whereas with them, they're like, nope, it's all out there for you guys. That's it. Well, I was wanting to ask you about your uh, work with Canon um, because I, I, I'm curious if Canon actually knows a little more than what they're landing on because of what they, <laughs> of what they, you know, you know, they, you know, they got the gnosis and then the whole, you know, uh, the infamous jump that oh, uh, the they kind of had, yeah, where they had kind of had to work with uh, FDev about. So the thoughts crossed my mind. Maybe some of the people at Canon know a little more than they're letting on because of their work with with Frontier. And I'm just curious if you if you know anything about that. So from talking to anybody, and especially in the leadership in Canon, they're all very approachable individuals. Commander Del Monte and even our self. Uh, I can just tell you right now that they were just as much in the dark about most of the stuff that was going on with the Cone Sector as well, because. Like, I don't really think there's anything that they know. I don't think there's anything that they wouldn't know uh, that, you know, it, it, that's exclusive to between them and FDEV, as far as I'm concerned. I would say that, you know, they probably find out things at the same pace that we do. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen anything that would suggest that, you know, oh, okay, um, FDEV has told them that this is going to happen, things like that. Okay, Anna would go out and find it, then publish about it on forums or on Reddit. In most cases, I think we're just honestly, like most of the members, of, including the leadership, are finding things out. Like the cone sector thing was a complete surprise to them too. They kind of figured, okay, you know, chances are there may be a possibility, uh, if anything, that Frontier will say, yeah, this is, this is a no-go. Because yeah. someone was just looking at the cone sector and they said, hey, wait a second, we have the jump range to make it if we go from this system into there and through these lock systems. And we can actually explore a part of space that nobody's ever been to before. Right. That would be really cool. Um, but you know, FDev then said no. But the thing is, they didn't tell them that <laughs> until you know, obviously, the morning of when the Galnet article leaked, and then all of us were like, "Oh, now I wasn't on the I wasn't on the, the gnosis for the jump. Um, I actually wasn't planning on going with that trip because I figured, if anything, my time for me personally in game was going to be." Back in the bubble, um, can't remember what I was doing at the time. I think it was probably still very, uh, very much into the mining at the time for the hotspots and all that. I was into mining before it was cool, for the record. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, no, I, so I didn't join on that. Yeah, the morning of, I just remember I went into work and then uh, I opened up my phone real quick just to see what happened. Uh, you know, did the Gnosis make it? Sure enough, the 
the cat in Discord was on fire with rage. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So, jump. I'm sorry. So that was an interesting just to, as background for people that might not know. Uh, what had happened was, as you said, Cannon had decided that they were going to jump into this area. They found an area that I think FDev should have locked down previously based on the fact that they wanted to lock down. They locked down all the stuff sort of around it. and be, But because nobody had the range to get there, it had been unmolested even though it was an open system. <clears throat> well... The Gnosis, with its 500 light year jump range, uh, had the ability to jump into there. And the way that the Gnosis works is <clears throat> Canon Research contacts FDEV and gives them the flight plan. And it's FDEV that actually jumps it. They just, Canon just tells them where they want to go, and FDEV schedules it and does it because nobody can control at this time like a personal mega ship. So when they went to do it, <clears throat> Instead of, as you were saying, instead of FDEV telling them, like, man, this is a mistake, you can't go there. They said, yeah, okay, we'll make a jump on the tick. And then FDEV sort of scrambled on their side to figure out, like, well, what the hell do we do? We can't let them go there. We don't want them to go there. <clears throat> so the decision they made instead was to have it have the jump, quote unquote, be interfered with by Thargoids or whatever. <clears throat> And so they only ended up jumping like two systems over. They made a jump that you could make in a Diamondback Explorer. <laughs> uh, they only jumped like a couple systems over. And then <clears throat> the ship was sort of came out of hyperspace in like emergency situation and was immediately attacked by Thargoids. All of which would have been totally sort of interesting and exciting and dynamic and like, holy crap, did you see what happened? except for the fact that they didn't bother to hold out on releasing the Galnet article in-game about it happening. So the Galnet article in-game came out like several hours before the jump. So everyone already knew exactly what was going to go down when it happened. And then on top of which... When people showed up to try to rescue the Gnosis, when people tried to show up on the team people side of the argument and shoot down the Thargoids, which were attacking the station or the ship, the ship turned around then and marked all of them as criminals for firing next to the ship and then opened fire on them, blew them up and sent them, whatever, a thousand light years away to a prison colony. So yeah, there was that's that. the background of that. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was definitely like I can understand the frustration and the anger at it, but I I I look at events like that and I go, oh man, that really sucks. And then I just kind of leave it at that. But that's just my personal attitude towards a lot of things. Like I understand for some people, like this was, uh, you know, some people felt like they were betrayed, and you know, FDEV came to their house and kicked their dog. Um, but like in this case, uh, you know, I just kind of looked at the situation. I'm like, oh man, that really sucks. And then I was like, all right, well, moving on. <laughs> Yeah. So was so I, I feel like there has been a marked difference, and I think that it dates back to that time. It seems to me that up until that point, Canon was much more using the Gnosis to try to unlock the mysteries of the galaxy. They were really trying to probe and dig and uncover things. 
And it seems like sort of since then, or maybe since a few other incidents after that, but to me, it seems like a lot more just since that incident, they've kind of, to a certain extent, given up and said like, all right, they're not going to let us dig for the mysteries of the galaxy. So instead, we're going to be mischievous. And they have done things like try to jump the Gnosis as close as you can get to Mitteran's Hollow to try to screw with stuff there or to try to jump the Gnosis like very close to a ring or very close to a station. And you get, you end up having like what we had about a month ago where the Gnosis jumped and ended up sort of merged and tangled up with a planetary outpost or a, what do you call it? Yeah. A, one of the little shoebox stations out in orbit. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 seems to be happening, unfortunately, quite a bit. And I'm not sure if that's actually like intended or not. Mm. Whether it's like Canon deliberately said, like, how close can we get? I think most of the time it's just it may be a programming error is the best way maybe to describe that. Uh, uh where they jump the nose it's just a little bit too close and it's like, whoops. Mm, now I've it's got, about to hit a planet. I've got some sources that indicate otherwise. I've got some sources that indicate that they're very clearly doing it on purpose just to be mischievous. They're having fun with it. Oh, good for them then. That's the thing. Like <laughs> I you know, I, I give them full credit then if they wanna if they wanna be the ones to poke the bear, by all means. Like that's the thing. It's if you if you're if you're in a, a bit of a frustrated place with the, the developers, I suppose like this is pretty benign in terms of the of, oh, yeah. of the things you could be doing. Well, yeah. in in addition to that, you have to also grant the fact that they still have to schedule the jumps through FDev. So FDev is the one that is actually making the jump happen. So obviously, they aren't too mad about what's going on because they're the one that's pushing the button to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I guess in in a way, you hope they do learn from it. Like every single like little failure, in the sense that, like, oh, okay, clearly putting a mega ship this close to Mitterrand Hollow was not a good idea. It really creates some issues there. Reveals something about the the, the coding behind the game that they go right. That's something yeah. that we should look at and try to fix. That one would hope they do, but I'm not sure. Like, I can't really say what FDEV do in their office and whether they actually take a look at the data from these things in a more critical uh, in, in a critical light where they go right okay so clearly if we move a mega ship within this distance of an orbital this is what happened right so now we know that the hard limit in the coding is that we should have to set it to this distance or some something along those lines well uh, i'm sorry go ahead i i kind of feel like if dev's head is really just kind of down looking at the 2020 update and they're not really looking around a whole lot right now is what it feels like so well regardless of whether they're looking at it as a chance to see something ahead of time or just finding out information when it's launched upon them and you know when the pie hits them square in the face either way they are this is an invaluable tool for them to gather data because in the not too distant future, the galaxy is going to have a whole lot more personal mega ships out there, and they are seeing what happens when this, what happens with that. So, whether it's out of mischief or being cheeky or actual earnest scientific uh, search for knowledge, Canon is is I think doing the uh, the galaxy a service with their odd jumps. Well, I. I, I more credit to them for you know still trying to figure these things out and you know pushing the limitations for us so that way we don't have to do all the you know, the hard work for them. Yeah, for sure. 
So tell well, us. Oh, go ahead. Well, I, I was gonna say, let me shift gears a little bit away from Canon because you, 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 you were mining before mining got good. <laughs> so, I am so, the hipster of mining. All right. Well, let, let, let me start off by saying, like, number one, I did some mining before just to see if I can make money at it. And I learned very quickly, this sucks. I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I flew back out to Rubigo and started doing that again. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I'm just curious, like, like, what are your opinions about how mining has shifted over the years, so to speak? Yeah, so I just remember when I, so I came into this game right around when Horizons dropped because I remember reading a PC Gamer article talking about like the trailer where they had the Guardian ruins and like, you know, oh, there's this, there's this ancient civilization out there, the ruins can be found in the galaxy. And I said, yeah, oh, that looks like a cool game. I'd like to join that. And yeah, right. I, I can tell you guys a bit more about my thoughts about the early days of when I started playing um, in a bit. But to answer your question about the whole mining thing, you know, uh, when I started out, I was just looking for ways to kind of get myself situated and figure out ways to earn some cash in the game to earn that next ship. So like I, I, for a while was, I think the ship I spent the longest amount of time in, and I still do fly it these days, the Cobra Mark three. Um, that's my, that's my pride and joy of my, of all the ships that I own, even though I've been flying a crate more recently, uh, I still enjoy flying Cobra, but I was there and I was just trying to earn up money for, uh, just pretty much a Python more or less. I was just, that was my, that was my goal. I was like, Oh, I'm not really interested in Honda. I'm not interested in, you know, any of the large ships that were available. Like, I didn't want to get a Corvette. I didn't want to get a Cutter. I was like, I like the small and medium ships. So I needed a way to earn that. So uh, I used to just sit there and try passenger missions out. So I earned enough to get an ASP. So I was doing passenger missions and doing the BGS out in Daeguandri um, at Ray Gateway. That was kind of like my hub for a good long time. And then I figured, I remember reading somewhere on the forum that, you know, some guy was like, it's actually decent money to be made mining. And this, you know, this is back when credits were pretty hard to come by mm -hmm. quantities that we earn them now. So I was just like, all right, well, let's just give it a shot. I've got nothing to lose. So I just remember looking up my ASP to be a miner, more or less. So I looked up the basic requirements. I said, okay, I need mining lasers. I need a refinery. I need a prospector limpet, collector limpets. And I didn't know anything about anything back then in terms of like the number of things needed like in terms of how many collectors you should have per laser and things like that and uh yeah so i went on to the rings i dropped in i was like you got to look for pristine metallic that's where the three p's are that would be painite palladium and platinum so you know these were the three highest paying metal uh, minerals metals and minerals that people should have been mining at the time mm -hmm. and uh, low temperature diamonds were just a myth right <laughs> they did we knew they were there, but we just none of us knew how to find them. So we're just like, okay, yeah, none of us are ever going to go ice mining. This is pointless, even though they're really pretty. Um, so yeah, I, I used to just drop into a ring randomly. I wouldn't even drop into a Hazres or any of the res sites. And I would just drop into a ring randomly, shoot prospectors off heading in a single direction, and mine that way. And then I'd fill up my cargo hold, fly back to Ray Gateway, sell my goods because I knew nothing of the BGS at the time. I would just... <laughs> I was just like, whatever, man, just sell it there. And that's, that's great. And then I'd see a profit and I'd be like, hey, actually, that's not bad money. Like, I'd probably get maybe close to 100,000 credits. And I thought to myself, hey, that's not bad. Of course, this is me being very naive now, especially looking back. And uh, eventually I earned enough for that Python. And then I got the Python that became my mining ship and my all around go to ship uh, for a good while uh, before I went back to the Cobra. And yeah, that that was 
looking at how it's changed now, um, especially like around the time I was really getting into mining and things like that before I was getting involved with BGS stuff and things, I was really the I saw a forum post for something called the Intergalactic Mining Union from a guy named Polish Dan. And I was like, you know what? I'll join that. Fellow like miners, like guys who just like mining for the sake of mining, because it's just a chilled out kind of experience. And on top of that, you know, if you're lucky, you get a car to hold full of paynite, you make a good payday if you can find a system that sells it, you know, that buys it at a good price. So yeah, I joined in there and uh, it ended up being some of the best guys I've ever flown with in Elite, hands down. Like we did really no combat, we just did wing mining and stuff like that. And it was good fun. And doing wing mining was kind of a revelation in terms of how quickly you could fill up a ship. And this is around the time that like the Type 10 had dropped. And I was like, you know what? The Type 10, it's just a big T9. I've been mining in a T9 for a while because I eventually got enough money to buy a T9. And I said, all right, I'll give the T9 a, a shot. It's got this big industrial look about it. And then I looked at the T10 and I was like, that looks like a bigger, angrier industrial factory in space. <laughs> I want that. That jumps farther. Well, I didn't even care about the jumping. I just looked at it and it was like, just reminding me of like the Nostromo. Like, I just wanted big beam lights on it to be flying through a ring with just all these mining lasers on it. So I was like, you know what? That's going to be my mining ship. And for wing mining, it was absolutely amazing. So we went through it. We had a lot of fun with it. And then core mining came out. And core mining uh, was, I looked at it and I said, wow, that's really cool. Like, I remember seeing the first visual of the asteroid exploding and I was like, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, I just want to blow up asteroids all day. And it's probably going to be the same payout as before. So whatever. And then sure enough, uh, I didn't actually get a chance to try it out right away. Cause I was in, um, uh, at the time I was, and I had some real life stuff going on that I wasn't able to actually play with the new mining mechanics, uh, right away. So I kept seeing in the IMU discord, um, all these guys doing these re like pretty much looking at how it's working and discussing how it's working. And then the brilliant part about the IMU is like, they're like the canon of mining. They will break down the stats of actually like how much a medium laser versus a small laser uh, mining laser will give you in terms of fragments, like how much each fragment is worth depending on the percentage, things like that. And yeah, like if you want to know everything there is to know about mining, those are your guys. Um, they've really done their research, like, you know, commanders, Jake P and Lionheart and Polish Dan, and Danger Dan. There's a lot of Dan's in the mining union. I don't know yeah, why. We've got, we've got the Dan's over in our Discord yeah. now, so it's good. good, good <laughs> they are fantastic people to talk to, and I can talk to you to about them to no end. Um, you know, and uh, they're very good friends of my, like they're very good friends and great pilots to go with, and they're just generally good people. Um, but yeah, so when the core money came out, these guys were posting about it. They're like, "Oh my god, the payouts—they're absolutely amazing!" So it was like <laughs> finally when I got into game, I got to try it, and I I just remember I took. A crate mark two out to um, uh, the arc system before Professor Palin had moved there because it was like the only ice ring near Lave where mm -hmm. I was stationed at the time, and I was like, you know what, let's just give it a go, see what we find. So sure enough, I found an asteroid with uh, I found an Alexandrite hotspot, and I dropped in. I was like, I don't know what Alexandrite is, but I'm sure it pays well. Um, <laughs> so I flew around for like a good twenty minutes with the, the, the little pulse wave analyzer, following the IMU like you know standards on it. I asked, uh, I think I was I was I was talking with. Commander Lionheart and um, Bjorn K on there. It was also now, uh, if I've seen correctly, in the Loose Screws Discord. Um, yep. So uh, yeah, I was following their advice, and I eventually found a core <laughs> asteroid, and uh, I cocked it up the first time and lost most of the yield from it because I put too many explosives. 
because I was just really excited to be able to blow up an asteroid. <laughs> we, we all did that with our first asteroid. <laughs> I was just there was like, oh, I wonder how like how far back do I have to be from the blast radius? And then I just like I just went to the side panel, triggered detonate now. It's like detonation imminent, and I was like, all right, this is really cool. It's probably not going to be that damaging. No, it is absolutely damaging when you're really close to it. Mm-hmm. And that led to the uh, IMU document called Chunks Hurt. <laughs> that's uh we have commander lionheart to thank for that one so yeah uh yeah so i got into it and then obviously it didn't work as a wing event obviously uh you know as we all know so for so oh, yeah. long it was not an option as a wing mining yeah so when i it's saw the now, profits the come out when i started seeing the profits were like what people were earning just for painite mining like in doing old laser mining with all the mining revamp i was like this is incredible like mining is actually going to be cool Guys, we're ahead of the trend for once. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, it was actually like a good time for the IMU to grow and develop as a community, and it's still a great community now. Um, but it's not as obviously like everyone kind of got used to doing the solitary core mining because that was the biggest profit yields. So we, we were hoping to do more wing mining events in the future. But like my personal opinion on all the changes, to finally get to the point of the original question that you asked, besides through my ramblings. Um, you know, I really enjoyed them at the start. And now looking at how fast we earn credits, I kind of think it devalued what money is in this game. And, you know, in a way, I think one of the best things about Elite when I first started playing it was working my way up and trying to earn enough for that next ship and to outfit it and to make sure I had enough for a rebuy. Mm. Like, I can't tell you, like the first time I had enough money to buy an Anaconda, I was nervous as all hell. I hit buy ship. I got into it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in an anaconda. This is like the biggest ship in the game. This is really cool. And then, of course, this is like, you know, before I had actually bought a T9, of course. So I, I, I was like, all right, let's be really careful. I got enough for one rebuy. Let's not fuck getting out of the station. You know, <laughs> you don't want the station to blow you up. It's going to be great. So I launched and I managed to get out of the station following the advice of, you only fit through the mail slot if it looks like you're about to collide. Your, your head is about to hit the top of the, uh, the mail slot there mm. when you're in an anaconda getting out. And uh, I got it out. I flew it around for about maybe all of 10 minutes. And I said, this thing sucks. <laughs> and then I went back in the station and sold it. <laughs> and then I bought a T9 and I said, wow, this thing can't turn. But for some reason, I really enjoy flying this. I don't know why. <laughs> a, you were a, uh, what is it? The psycho cow at heart, huh? Yeah, like when I saw that cow skin, I was like, oh my God, I want that. And then, yeah. of course, the truckers were buying it for Commander Psycho Cow. So the moment I found that out, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to bid on this. This is, that's, that's for him. That's like, he is the original T9 pilot in my eyes. So it's like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was, it was good fun. Like, I, I, I you know, it, it was great to be able to earn that money to earn up to that ship and doing it through mining and through like regular missions and stuff like that. Like, the random delivery mission and just earning all this money and going. And then with the core mining, like I just remember someone posting like they can get trade elite in one day, but just yeah. by core mining. And I was like, this is insane. <laughs> so yeah. part of it is just like, maybe we shouldn't think about moving the goalposts for trade elite. Like no longer a billion credits is enough to become trade elite. Maybe we should make it like, I don't, I don't even know what, how far we should scale it or do we need to rethink the galactic economy? 
And we saw that with this latest patch. And I think it's gone to a bit of an extreme where we just said, like, you know, FDEV, we're like, okay, we kind of want to address this. Like, yeah, we wanted to build a natural gold rush into the game, but uh, clearly this did not work out in the way that we anticipated. So then they did this whole thing where essentially it's like, um, you know, uh, the station has a, essentially a cargo, a cargo scanner. And it's like, oh, whoa, 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 you got way too much pain. Like, right, I'm only going to give you this much. Um, but you know the laws of supply and demand don't dictate that it actually should work that way, uh, where a station actually needs something and you have it, even though you have as much as they want in demand, you still are able to set the price. Like you should be able to still turn around a good profit for it. But um, it'd be great if they just didn't do it for core materials. It would be great if they did it for all, uh, all everything in the galactic economy, as well as actually tie it more into, like, make the demand not like a static number, just actually make a dynamic number where we can see it continuously drop for sure. Um, as things get there and it's stuck there, then that way we actually have to look for more trade routes and we have to start thinking a bit more strategically about what type of ship we're mining in our jump distance. Uh, you know, do should we worry, like, should we have like a T10 in the background, just ready, just all cargo, uh, all cargo racks in there just so we can jump to that next station and sell everything. Um, or even an Anaconda in that case, because it's a better jumper. That would um so but yeah I'm gonna, like i'm go, gonna go make ahead. a quick editor's note here just so people aren't yelling at the radio this guy's dumb he doesn't know what he's talking about this conversation is being recorded on february 2nd the morning of february 2nd it's not going to be released until the morning of february 24th so at the time of this recording these facts are all accurate as we know them now I have every <laughs> reason to believe that based off of the backlash metric tons outcry. of salt on the forums posts and coming from every direction that by February 24th, there may very well be an adjustment that fixes this problem that he's talking about. But at the time that he's saying it, this is 100% accurate information. <laughs> I just want to say that to protect you because you're get, there, if, it, if this gets released on the 24th and on the 18th, they remove that extra proviso of completely ignoring supply and demand. We're going to give you less based on how much you have as well. Hmm. then everyone's going to be like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Old news. <laughs> so, no, that's, I just want to say that. That's actually a very good point because the way mining is shaking up the last, based on the last two, three weeks, it's been kind of a very fluid thing. And I, I don't feel like uh, Frontier has really settled on a good solution or a happy median for what they're aiming for versus what the community wants. So. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame too because, like, I think in a way by increasing the yield, like the payout for mining, yeah, it's great that you know mining got some love, but now it's gotten a bit too much love, and everywhere else the payouts have kind of been like. I remember when they altered the trade payouts to uh, not the trade payouts, the exploration payout. Mm, yeah, and I thought, okay, that's great, and then core mining came around and it just made everything disproportional. Like combat, you know, we have to start thinking about. If you're going to make one avenue profitable, you need to start thinking about you know rebalancing the rest. Because like, now mm -hmm. combat's the least paying thing, and it used to be the highest paying way to earn money. Mm -hmm. And then you know everyone was like, oh, but missions, missions should be a way to earn money too. And then they did the wing trade missions, and then it ended up not being the highest earner in the end. And like wing core mining came out, and a lot of these old ideas that they had for earning money have kind of fallen to the wayside. So I think it's time to you know whether I get people agree with me or not on this you know it's my personal opinion 
that we should start reviewing how money's earned in Elite and actually start making credits either more meaningful, whether fleet carriers is a solution to that, which I have some very, um, uh, I guess, controversial thoughts about fleet carriers to begin with uh, compared to most of your guests from the other interviews I've listened on um, versus, you know, uh, maybe thinking about, uh, I don't know, another series of ships that they're going to release to us or maybe even altering ship prices, which I imagine if they did, the the entire community as one will rise up and burn down Cambridge. It'll be uh, bad. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't know what else, like, we can do because we come to this point where we have so much money. Each commander can just have, like, you know, several billion. And it, like, I kind of feel like the poor man of Elite because I'm just barely above a billion myself. And I'm like, yeah, that's good enough for me. I have no desire for a fleet carrier. I've got the ships I want. You know, I'm just like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty content with this. I don't need any more than I need. And you know, I don't do PvP. I'm uh, I, I do a lot of I'm, I'm well. I'm starting to do a lot of AX combat, which is very ironic considering I'm the guy who's been reporting about you know AX stuff for well over a year now. <laughs> um, and I'm, I finally looked at my like combat ranking. And I was like, I just remember I got to dangerous just so I could get access to Laurie Jameson. And I was like, yeah, that's great. I'll leave it there. And then <laughs> I decided, I was like, no, you're a lead in trade. You're a lead in exploration. Uh, I think you need to work on your combat rank. This has been embarrassing. So let me ask you, what, is the, uh, what are your controversial opinions about uh, fleet carriers? exactly what I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> That they're in all honesty, I think fleet carriers are pointless. I I see nothing about them that is appealing to me as a money sink or anything like that. I just feel like you know people have been like, oh yeah, it would be great to bring my entire fleet somewhere. And to me, that's like, well, you've just removed the challenge of it all, haven't you? Because if I want to go out on a deep exploration trip, I want to build myself a ship that I know will be able to handle most of the things out there. So that means bringing a decent shield, bringing an extra SRV. Bringing a mining laser, God forbid that I, you know, run out of jumponium materials uh, and I'm not able to land, um, you know, AFMU, these kind of things. And I'm just like, okay, well, you put some thought into building a ship. Now it's like, oh, I've got a fleet carrier. I can bring everything with me. I don't actually have to plan for anything other than like whatever, mining enough grindonium to jump the ship, whatever distance. And the other thing too is like with the fleet carrier jump distance, um, like if, if it is like the Gnosis where it's like 500 light years, it's going to make long distance exploration in a way, or actually long distance travel kind of meaningless, like getting to Colonia for me, like I remember I did it uh, back when Dove Enigma had the whole like, oh, Thargoid sensor, um, the black market on the, on the ship was uh, leading to it being shut down and everything like that because someone was selling Thargoid sensors on it. They were doing so I remember UA just, bombs. Yeah, yeah, the UA bombing. I remember yeah. I jumped out to Maya, filled up my, uh, my, <laughs> my then a second attempt at owning an Anaconda uh, I bought it just for that purpose because, like, I need something that could jump quick. Because I was like, you know what, this is finally a sense of urgency. I need to, you know, I'd like to actually be a part of this. So I bought one, outfitted it real quick, engineered it really quickly, and then uh, filled it up at Maya with like, I can't remember how many alloys at the time. And then I just jumped out the Colonia and like getting there without neutron jumping felt like a huge accomplishment because it was like mm-hmm. you traveled this distance. We didn't have the root. Uh, I'm not sure. Did we have the root plotter back then that could do the ten thousand? It, it was about year. I didn't See, go out that's there. The thing, with it's Dove. hard. I want to say it was still back then. It was still it was still a thousand. Yeah, because the twenty thousand change was 
I'm not entirely sure that one, but about a year ago. So, yeah, I mean, it was a nice quality of life change, but in a way, I kind of felt it took away a little bit from the exploration game where you're like, you can, like, I remember the, like, the guys from the alpha days uh, of Elite talking about how they used to be able to plot it like only 100 light years at a time mm-hmm. and you had to really think about the next system you were jumping to. Um, and especially with the guy, uh, Zulu Romeo, who made it out to Sag A Star first, like, it was. Yeah, like he just did that manually just by plotting in the galaxy map. And the funny thing about that when he did it as well was that the fact that NPCs used to still chase you all the way out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, this is amazing. Like hearing that story that he was just manually plotting while dodging this NPC who just, just kept trying to hound him. I want so. my two dollars. Give me my tree fitter. So yeah. uh so so tell us a little bit, you know, you've told us about your 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 sort of mining escapades and your dealings with IMU as a member and whatnot. Tell us a little bit about um, your sort of work with IMU and Distant Worlds Two and sort of the planning committee and and whatnot on the you know or or just your as a miner in Distant Worlds Two because I know there was a whole lot of sort of. Mm, angst about that with regard to the fleet <laughs> carriers as well. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, so um, I remember when the IMU was starting out and we are just trying to get our name out and things like that. Um, uh, at the Elite Community Meet in Reading, uh, so this was about two years ago, I actually got to meet uh, with, the, with the leader of the IMU, Polish Dan, and a few other members in real life at the ECM, which was great. Um, you know, it was great to finally meet these guys in person. I'd been chatting with them on Discord for a while and we were all mining together. So I was like, this is brilliant. So we finally met in real life and Frontier were there. So we got to talk to Ed Lewis and Will Flanagan, um, which both in real life are phenomenal people. They're really friendly, great guys. Um, the entire FDEV crew, I have to say, are really outstanding like human beings in terms of just being able to talk to the fans and things like that. Now, what you think about their programming skills and things like that and their community management skills, that's for your own opinions. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and drag them through the mud or anything like that because I have nothing but respect for the work that they do, having worked in a similar, not in the games industry, but in web services and understanding the kind of flack you have to deal with when shit goes to like, you know, pear shapes. Mm-hmm. But um, the... You know, we got to talking to Will and, you know, we said, oh, it'd be great if we actually taught you how to mine as part of like, you know, the Educate Ed series that Will was going to be taking over on. Mm. Um, and it was even funnier because he even asked us, he's like, what should we call it? And I was like, I just sat there thinking to myself, like, for some reason, just thinking back to Will Smith's rap career in the 90s, like, should we just call it Big Willie style? But, you know, <laughs> um, unfortunately, that would have some interesting connotations to it. And yeah, uh, I don't think it was more so. For, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not so much for Amer- um, for Americans, that doesn't really, yeah. Well, yeah, because like, the thing is, Will Smith's rap career, I think, really was kind of limited to America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that and the Brits refer to their willies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I thought it was hysterical at the time because I was, you know, I was like one of the few Americans that were actually, I was the only American at the elite community meet. Which led to a lot of stares because everyone was just like, "What the hell are you doing here? How did you end up here? Did you get lost? <laughs> <laughs> You're here for this game? Are you sure?" <laughs> like, yeah. So it was like I was like, "No, no, no. I I live over here. You know, I figured I'd just come say hi. You know, that kind of thing." Right but on. yeah, so <laughs> um, yeah. So we got to talking about that, and then it, Distance World Two was announced, and 
you know, the mining changes were also announced and things like that. So I said, to, I said to Polish Dan, you know, it'd be really great um, if we could get involved as the IMU to kind of get more, uh, a bit of, uh, generate a bit of note uh, of um, a publicity for us to get us a bit more popular with people so they can come and learn about mining and we get more people to be strange like us. Um, you know, because mining can be a very solitary activity, but we found a way to like. I think wing mining ended up being the most enjoyable experience I've had in Elite um, overall. It's really just a fun night where you just go out into the rings with your friends and you can drop into a hazres with them. And there's enough of your ships around that are crappily armed that you can fend off most things that come your way. Um, so I just said to him, I was like, you know, it would really be great if you can get involved in distant worlds too planning. So I introduced him to Olivia Vespera and a few of the other people there. And I said, here are, the, here are the people you'd really need to talk to. This is the most I can do for you. The rest is on you. And we left it at that. And sure enough, the staff of the Intergalactic Mining Union and Polish Dan were pulled in with the Rock Rats. So, you know, Commander Greytest and uh, Baroness Galaxy and all of them, uh, who were the original kind of miners on the first Distant Worlds, which uh, was also another thing that kind of inspired me to play Elite as well, was talking about this massive expedition across the galaxy. There's a lot of cool things going on with this. Um, yeah, so he got involved with that. And then sure enough, when I signed up for Distant Worlds 2, I was really excited about it. I was like, oh, cool. You know, are we going to need to bring our mining gear? Is there actually going to be mean, like mining stuff like beyond just, you know, Jumponium materials for people who need it? And yeah, eventually um, Polish Dan just got back to me and he said, I'm going to make you an advice. I'm going to make you, you know, part of the advisory committee for the um, distant worlds to uh, mining sector, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's cool." So yeah, I sure enough got on to that, and you know, I wasn't really because I, I wasn't really there in the initial planning stages. I kind of was brought on for the community goals, um, just kind of offer advice and you know opinions here and there. And you know, I those guys in that chat were in that Discord were fantastic to work with in that regard, and um, you know, I. I, I really enjoyed, you know, helping other commanders on the on the, the community goals themselves. And of course, you know, the big question was, oh, if we have fleet carriers, can we just ship out our mining ships on the fleet carrier or on the mega ship that we might get? And sure enough, uh, Polish Dan came back to me and he goes, "Yeah, by the way, we're not getting that." And I was like, "Oh, well, balls." Because my plan was originally to just like fly my ASP out on distant worlds too, and then you know have my type 10 on the mega ship that way i would just switch it out and i know that you know saying that now is a bit ironic considering that i just you know just fleet carriers in that sense um but you know for this case i was like oh i just didn't want to have to lug all my mining equipment and then he goes no you're gonna have to bring your mind because i was like is there any guarantee that the stations will sell it and he goes no because you know f dev so i said okay that's fine so went back and the uh, anaconda that I had built for Dove Enigma, I was like, right, you're no longer mothballed. Let's actually try to get used to you. <laughs> so sure enough, I, uh, I, I didn't even go and I didn't get the uh, Guardian FSD booster for it. I just, I, this is before I even unlocked any of the Guardian stuff. I was just like, all right, let's give this thing a shot. Engineered it up, got it to a decent weight with a decent power plant to run all my mining lasers, my core miner stuff. Uh, and then, yeah, got the refinery, prospector limpet, collector, collector limpets, uh, controllers, and all that stuff. I got it all situated, decent cargo hold. And I was like, all right, this is the ship that we're going to use for Distant Worlds. This is going to be great. And uh, yeah, I, after Distant Worlds 2, I've come to thoroughly hate the Anaconda through and through. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we brought all our mining equipment with us. 
with the with kind of like I just didn't want to run the risk of like waiting on you know Omega Station to have the mining materials that we need in order to uh, the mining um, utilities that we needed to kind of do the CG. So we were telling people before they left, like, make sure you at least you know pack a refinery. It weighs nothing. And, you know, you can power it off for most of the journey until the actual CG. And then if you don't want to go on to the next CG, you can just sell it at Omega or something like that. And we were trying to tell people like lightweight, uh, lightweight engineer, all your collector limpid, uh, all your limpid controllers. And if you're going to take a pulse wave analyzer, make sure you take an A or B rated. That way you get a good distance on them. But remember, this is going to be your most power hungry, you, you know, tool. So set your power, uh, set, set your power priorities correct when you're actually out in mining. <laughs> uh, the other option, of course, was to import your stuff from the bubble with the uh, with the module transfer. But we know that that would take you know a day from where we, when we started off and at Omega, and then even worse uh, when we got closer to Sagay Star, like with the uh, Explorer's Anchorage. So yeah, we we kind of gave the advice and helped people with their mining builds when they got there. When FDEV gave the stations all the mining uh, utilities that they needed in order to do the CG. Um, the guys on PlayStation 4 from the IMU were goddamn animals in terms of finding all the hotspots for the oh, CG. Oh, yeah, they were. They scouted, like, like bosses. Like, it was amazing the progress those guys were making. We were just like, holy shit, we just got here, and they've already found the hotspots we need for the materials. And it's like, this is great. And there's there a huge I'm effort. Unless I'm mistaken, there's a special shout-out that should go out to All Crows or Black for that. Yeah, all crows are black for leading the PS4 team. Um, Commander Rippinghawk from the IMU for being part of that as well. Uh, you know, that was a huge collaborative effort between not only the IMU and the Distant Worlds people, but the commanders actually on Distant Worlds. And, uh, you know, for going and mapping and cataloging all these things manually and a Google spreadsheet. It's not like we had an in game tool to do this, which is another bugbear, but, um, you know, mapping and finding all these spots and actually. It, it actually helped the IMU too with our own mining research, knowing that like there could be an indict hotspot. We're like, holy shit, there's actually hotspots for things that just didn't, that are not valuable commodities. So we were just wondering, like, were these placed by FDEV or were they there to begin with? So, you know, we're, I, I don't remember if, uh, what, what conclusion we arrived at the end, um, but it was, it was just great that they managed to do it. So they really made the CG possible. And then we got more wing mining. And it was a chance for everyone to kind of forget the politics of the bubble and the BGS and power play and really enjoy a giant exploration trip together. And yes, you know, even with distant ganks chasing us along the way and everything like that, you know what? Um, credit where credit's due. Those guys, you know, they built combat ships. They flew them out there with their limited jump range. They really hounded us. But at the same time, it's part of the game. And I... Uh, <laughs> Whether anyone agrees with me on this or not, and whether they, you know, I get a, sh- you know, a shit ton of salt thrown at me for saying this, it's they have a right to play it the way they want to. And I'm not going to say that I agree with their play style, but I will defend anyone who says that they can't. Uh, you know, I will defend this. I will defend them against anybody who says that like they can't play this way because mm-hmm. the rules of the game are not written beyond like you know end user license agreement, but. <laughs> You know, in terms of play styles and things like that, yeah, it's a bit of a dick thing to do. But guess what? It's still their choice and it's their freedom to do it. So, you know, if they want to do it, they're going to do it. And if you get ganked, yeah, that sucks. But you kind of, kind of, you know, you kind of have to prepare for it. And in a way, I think, you know, thinking about exploration builds and things like that, should we make them paper thin? 
uh, just because we're interested in getting to somewhere farther, a lot faster. It's all about preference and opinion. So there's no right answer to this. Um, you know, in terms of how you, how you want to build your ship is up to you. And what mode you want to play in is up to you. How you want to play with others is up to you. And if you choose that you want to be the person who blows up other people for whatever lore, like role play reason, or just in general, you like to just, you know, blow people up, uh, that's, that's up to you. But, you know, distant ganks had their purpose, uh, but it didn't stop the fun of distant worlds, to me at least. And I don't think it took away from the CGs either. Yeah, that's it's an interesting point. I've, it's very timely too. Supple Chur Geist just put out a video uh, on the subject literally yesterday, February first. And uh, yeah, I saw that this morning, and I was just like, oh yeah. It was an interesting. Uh, it, it's an interesting point. I, I agree with you pretty much down the line as far as like that's not my style, and that's not what I want to do, but. I appreciate as as a person, especially as a person who lives my life in open, I appreciate the spice. I appreciate the flavor. I appreciate the little bit of the little tingle, the little danger that you get. And, and, and it makes all of the rest of it so much sweeter. Would I feel the same way if I was killed sort of, you know, 60,000 light years from the bubble Probably not. I would probably be a little salty at that point, but like, I guess that's, you know, that's the way life goes, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I think that's actually going to be, I've got it in the show notes for one of our discussions for this, this week's show. So yeah, for sure. That's an interesting, it's an interesting viewpoint. It's good to hear from someone who was actually out there. Can you tell us uh, of any other sort of just uh, not, not the big story because the big stories of distant worlds too are out there and everyone's already heard them a thousand times, but can you tell us some, some, maybe some small personal like highlights from your time on DW2? Yeah. I am. I mean, personally, uh, I didn't go the conventional route that they suggested on, uh, you know, the, the route that whenever they announced a new segment of distant worlds Two, they always said, Oh, you stop off in these systems, see these things. So I kind of just went off the beaten track and said, you know, I'm more interested in seeing what I can find out there in terms of the variety in the universe, uh, not in the universe, but rather the galaxy, I should say, in terms of the systems. And, you know, I, I am a big science nerd myself. I, uh, I am a scientist in real life. So this is actually something I was kind of, you know, I was interested in, you know, I, did, I never, I always had an interest in astronomy as a kid and was like, this is a good chance to actually like start thinking about these kind of things. So uh, yeah, it was, you know, I went off the beaten path. I used to just try to go down and like scrape the bottom of the galactic plane, just trying to find my way out to the next waypoint. Um, and then as I was doing this, uh, I just remember tracking with the tracking where the other guys in the IMU were because I was trying to fly with them as well. And it was absolutely hysterical to see some of the progress because a lot of us were not big explorers, including myself. Like I initially, when I started playing this game, it's like, oh, I'll be an explorer. Then I went out there and I went crazy on my own. And uh, Distant Worlds 2 kind of helped me get through that, knowing that there are other people out there going crazy with me. And um, talking with Polish Dan and things like that when we were going along and trying to keep track of each other and like jumping into similar systems nearby each other and always sometimes missing each other because one person would be stuck in the FSS scan for too long <laughs> versus the other who was just like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm just going to keep jumping. I'm not interested in scanning the system. But it ended up becoming like, you know, a bit of OCD where you're like, oh, there's 37 bodies in the system. I'm going to scan all of them. <laughs> And then, yeah, so that ended up 
you know, we ended up having a lot of competitions about how many ice bodies we had our names on as adults. Um, I'm pretty sure I have, I actually don't know what my statistic is anymore. Um, let me just see if I can pull up EDSM real fast. Uh, and tell you because my my ice body record from Distant Worlds Two was hysterical to me at least. Um, there are so many ice bodies in this game. Yeah, there are. there are there are a ridiculous amount of ice bodies in this game, and it was, uh, you know, for me it was just really funny. Just like because I jumped just in the system with like nothing but ice bodies. Got to scan them all. Got to scan them all. Well, <laughs> and you know. Hopefully, coming up by the time Distance World, Distant Worlds Three goes off, we'll have some ice worlds. Like you could actually maybe have some interesting, meaningful interactions there. Yeah, and that would be really cool to see those changes. Like I remember when they proposed them, and I was just like, "Oh, that's 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 really cool." I would love to see that in game and uh, see how that plays out. And yeah, sure enough, we still haven't seen them yet, but. Whatever the reason, uh, I hope one day we actually do finally get to see them. Right. Oh, okay. So first discoveries in total of ice bodies, 8,485. <laughs> That's great. I am All the right. ice body king. So yeah. Yo, okay. uh, you, your new name is Iceman. <laughs> oh, God. The Iceman cometh. <laughs> That's I'm great. Some reason, I'm just actually curious now what mine are. So. <laughs> oh, man. It's, just like, so, it's funny because... Yeah, so there was that. And then, of course, um, the start of Distant Worlds 2. I will never forget this moment, ever. Uh, I jumped into the system. Uh, I sent Edelweiss a wing invite. And yeah, he added me into the wing because he wanted to get instance with everybody else. And I remember I had Danger Dan in my wing and um, uh, from the IMU and like a few other guys. And I remember Polish Dan just texting us on Discord going, guys, I just unlocked the Guardian FSD module. There's seven minutes to launch. Do you think I'm going to make it? <laughs> so we're like oh jesus man so i remember him like frantically jumping in this type 10 to get to the launch and then sure enough i'm sitting there in launch chatting away with everybody in, in game and then uh i also just see some lasers in the distance and i was like what the hell's going on over there so i i highlight the commander and i see it's commander flossy from the hudded truckers and she's got a anaconda full of mugs and her fuel rat builds and uh sure enough the pirates attacked her and blew her up right before the launch Oh, oh, man. I, I just sat there. Like, Edelweiss and I were just cracking up. We were just like, you've got to be kidding. The first person to die is the person least likely to do combat. And it was just funny, too, because I just remember her seeing, like, just trying to get away. And both of us are just sitting there screaming, run, Flossie, run. So that's one, one situation where Flossie does not tell you what to do. <laughs> 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 uh. Yeah, so we, we, we had a good laugh about that. And then um at the distant at the different sites and things like that, like at the meetups, um very rarely was I actually playing at a time that other people were logged in because I used to play in the evenings for about uh an hour and a half before my wife got home from work. Um and then I would play in the mornings before I had to go to work because she, you know, at my when we were still living in the UK, uh she used to have to get up at six and be out of the door by seven, where I didn't have to be out the door till about eight thirty. So I was like, "Okay, cool. I got an hour and a half to play Elite in the morning to help me with my distant worlds travels and all my ice body scannings." So, yeah, uh, we we had a good laugh about that for a while, and just the hours that I would be playing on, I would only get on with the Australian guys uh, at that hour. So we used to just meet up at the random jump points and be like, "Hey, how are you guys doing?" And jump in the fleet com like you know discussions. And, uh, in the uh, Fleetcom Discord uh, 
uh, chat rooms and things like that and chat with them over voice and uh yeah i thankfully nothing too memorable happened at one other than like the occasional like i logged back in and i was inside someone's ship like my ship was embodied inside an anaconda and i was like jesus christ what the fuck happened and then i like lift off and i'm like i've just emerged out of an anaconda so it looked like an anaconda giving birth to another anaconda it was I, actually kind of disturbing um, i literally just had that happen to me 10 seconds ago as you're telling Ugh. the story, I, I was jumping back in after killing Thargoid scouts. I was jumping back into Artemis Lodge. Mm-hmm. And it, you know how it goes screwy with Artemis sometimes because you're approaching by the rings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I approached by the rings. It froze and like hung up. And then the next thing you know, it shot me like in hyperspace, but like, or, or, or at hyperspeed, but like into the side of the uh the actual coriolis station and for a second i'm looking around and seeing the inside structure like i'm seeing like the skeleton of the structure of the station and then it shot me out the other side and took out one of my rings so yeah Uh, i can tell you that weird things can sometimes happen with this game yeah yeah that does that does seem to happen and uh I think one of the more interesting things about Distant World 2 as well was the fact that um, the IMU made some ranks in the Discord uh, about like the different things. Like if you took part in the first CG, uh, you got a specific you know uh, title to your name. If you took part in the second one, you got another one added. And then if you did the um, uh, the other uh, challenge, which was to bring half a cargo hold full of core commodities that you can't laser mine. And the other half with laser mind only commodities, two beagle points. Take an image of you in your cockpit looking at the star and beagle point, and then another image of you in the soul with your um with your build that had to be able to power on every single one of your mining modules and still be in super cruise and everything like that. And uh as well as a picture of your cargo hold and all its contents. You had to submit that and you got this really ridiculous rank. Um which I, I can't remember if it was Deranged Rock Eater or if it was something like that. Let me just see if I can pull it up quick. There we go. Yeah, so you got Metal Addicted Weirdo as the one if you made it all the way out to Beagle Point. Um, Deranged Rock Eater was the one if you could participate in the second uh, CG in Distant Worlds 2. And Utter Loon was the first one if you completed the CG at Omega. And for those, you just pretty much had to take a screenshot of your participation in the CG. And it was just quite funny because I remember us in the IMU because we were like, we're the miners. We got this. Like we were just competing with each other essentially like to get into the top 10 or the top 10% and then try to figure out which one of us like outbid the other one. And there was like, you would see one or two guys that were like ridiculous numbers. So you're like, you didn't go to work, did you? And they're like, no, I called in (laughs) sick for about like six days. (laughs) That's great. So let me ask you a question because you you stated your 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 feeling with regard to fleet carriers and obviously there there are some people that share your feeling that they're they're not really pro it I I believe uh, the exact words from Edelweiss were something along the lines of screw the fleet carriers just give us uh, Panther Clippers and we'll call it good uh, oh that'd be awesome. So, so, but, but you then talk about this experience and how you had planned uh, on the committee for Distant Worlds 2 for the mining side to have these different availabilities. What about that as far as not just for the standard tooling around casual aspect of it, 
But for the eventual Distant Worlds 3 and Distant Worlds 4 and Distant Worlds 29, mm-hmm. the, the ability to have people go out in full-on Explorer builds to get the most of the trip and then be able to pull into a carrier, switch over to their Uber Miner and go and have fun with it. I mean, if you want to use it like that, I, more power to you. I, I just kind of decided... I, I think this is when I kind of, kind of became dissolute. I, I remember when they announced League Carriers and I just went, oh, okay, that's cool. They're going to be for squadrons. And then they announced that there was going to be for individual commanders. And I was like, yeah, this lost all fucking meaning for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in the case of Distant Worlds 2, I thought at the time it was actually going to be good because we were looking to engage in a number of different activities. We had a lot of different roles. We had people who wanted to be scientists, who wanted to be photographers. We had one, two out of one to be miners. Um, I think I signed up to be both a miner first and a scientist second. Like, yeah, whatever, I'll scan shit along the way and I'll send them my data. Uh, but it ends up being a lot more involved in that. Uh, yeah, with the mining stuff, it, I just kind of decided, all right, if I'm going to build a deep space exploration miner, I'll do this right. Um, and I just kind of decided that it would be best for me to just build my ship or so. And I, would, I know other people disagree, and having a fleet carrier for that would be really useful in that sense that you know they want to be able to bring the ship that they can mine in most comfortably rather than try to update their exploration build at the last minute to kind of accommodate these things. Um, I mean, if you want to use it on a big expedition like that, don't make them... like Maybe FDEV can give us a temporary megaship or use the megaship that we built out, you know, that's out at Explorer's Anchorage now that goes around all the interesting sites um, near Sagittarius A Star and Explorers Anchorage that I only found out existed thanks to Watherspoon because I went past the area completely missed it on my way back. Um, <laughs> yeah, his annual review uh, I heard it on Hudden Radio Thursday night, um, and I was like, "Oh, that's what happened." Okay, cool. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to use that, that's fine. But like, whether you want to add fleet carriers into the mix, like, yeah, it would bet another. If you make it a team event, I think it's more interesting than if it's a personal event. Yeah. Like you know, refueling, it should be about a group of people doing it. That's why I was kind of saying, like, oh, for squadrons, it makes sense. And then mm. for you know individual commanders, I was like, oh, great. So you bring your entire fleet with you, then you've got to spend like three days just refueling the damn thing so you can jump again. Yeah. Well, let, let me. So let me ask you this, because um, I've been asking everybody, you know, basically the same three questions. Um, <laughs> you've already, you've already answered the fleet carriers one, so I want to ask you. What do you want out of the 2020 update versus what what do you think we'll get versus what do you don't want? Yeah, that's that's actually a pretty good question in terms of uh one uh you know I I've, I've thought about this for a few days now about what I want to see out of 2020 what we've gotten so far like I would love to see the changes to ice planets obviously come to fruition. <clears throat> um fleet carriers so everyone can shut the fuck up finally. Um, yeah, in terms of the other things, like I don't want, I don't want Fortnite or PUBG in space. That's my big, like, I really am not interested in seeing that kind of gameplay. Um, if it is a first person shooter or a third person shooter, I hope it's done in a way that's actually kind of, you know, not cartoonish or shitty or like, I don't know what Frontiers expect with it. I'd be really like, I'm not against Elite Feet or, uh, you know, uh, any, I'm not against. Uh, you know, being able to walk around your ship, but if they are going to give that up, that to us, I want them to actually give us something to do with it, other than just go look and like, hey, there's this panel here. 
Right. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah, that's that's great. There's a panel. All right, moving on. And then, you know, I, I just want I think for the most part, if they are if what's coming with 2020 is what the you know the supposed leak has predicted where it is elite feed. Um in that case, I'd love for it to be the associated gameplay with it uh that comes with it, like not just being able to walk around and look at things and you know, make it like kind of like a tourism game where we're just going in, look around the station, go, yep, that's cool. And then go back into our ships and fly off and then do the same thing at another station. Um, I actually want it to be a bit more interactive. Like, you know, maybe for the mission board, we actually have to walk into different parts of the station, talk to somebody like, you know, old school RPG, like computer, like PC RPG. Um, in that sense, where you kind of have to go find the quest giver, that kind of thing. Um, but actually make it a little bit engaging and not too cartoonish and, and stupidity and its play and things like that. And, you know, uh, it might be a big ask considering the fact that the NPC chat that we have in game in a Thargoid incursion system is like you still hear the fucking wedding crews go by going, I still haven't written my vows yet. And it's like, well, bitch, you ain't going to write your vows because you're going to be dead in about 30 minutes. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, if they actually managed to do something there, like I remember a few years, I, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before that they also dropped that up. Someone had found that video within the game files of like, you know, someone saying, come to my quarters and, you know, we about the mission or something like that, which kind of sounded to me like, you know, a clumsy uh, way of looking at how the Mass Effect romances worked. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I was looking at that and I was like, all right, well, you know, if they bring that, fine. Um, but what I really would like to see is one, the ice planets come to, you know, come around. I'd love to get atmospheric, um, access to atmospheric planets and things like that, see what they, you know, what procedural generation do for them. But the problem is procedural generation, things look the same as we all know in this game. And it's nothing to say that it's wrong with it because, uh, face it, a lot of the things, even though we find a lot of unique bodies in the galaxy, um, real life, it's not to say that there's a lot of, uh, there's not going to be systems that do look similar. Uh, in terms of, like, let's say, ice bodies and things like that, or um, uh, metal-rich, uh, or even water worlds and things like that. Some things are just going to look the way they are to look. The water world yeah. may not be all that interesting. It's just a, it's just water, like on the surface else? at least. Yeah, but the thing is, like, if they're going to add that, they're going to have to add the gameplay to dive down into the oceans, and that means our, right. our ship's waterproof. And the other thing too is like atmospheric flight. Like, can you honestly imagine, you know, some of the ships going into atmospheric flight? Like, just look at some of them like can you imagine a type 9 trying to go through and you see how slow that thing fucking moves it's going to crash into the surface like it's nobody's goddamn business or even tear itself apart um, yeah, the, the, good i'm sorry i'm sorry oh i was going to say like a type 7 for example with that giant forehead <laughs> there's nothing aerodynamic about that brick and i like that yeah i i I really like the Type 9, Type 10, the Type 6, the Type 7. And the reason why is because they look like spaceships. They look like how spaceships would actually look, you know? Yeah. Well, because you're, when you say they look like how spaceships would look, they look like craft that were not designed to function in an atmosphere, which is exactly your point and his point are sort of the same, but lead to two different, very different ways, you know, outcomes yeah, yeah and the thing is too is like if you look at like the the orca for example like let's say that is actually the south kruger ships are meant to go into water which they're named after aquatic mammals so sure why not or marine mammals i should say rather pedantic people are listening um 
you know, it, essentially the Oracle just looks like a giant space dildo. So I suppose it is sort of aerodynamic in its own sense. Um, but yeah, it, like if they were to add that gameplay, I would really love to see them think it out and be like, okay, well, can we put it underneath the ocean to make it kind of interesting? Are we going to, you know, render the planet like we would without an atmosphere? So it actually has like, you know, mountain ranges and canyons inside the ocean. And you know, are we going to populate with life or are we just going to make these biological sites that are not that interesting? Um, you know, could we use research limpets on them to see, you know, what biological material we can collect from aquatic animal, like from marine animals on like a, a water world? Um, are we going to get something like, you know, dino hunter in space where we land on an earth, like <laughs> going hunting for, you know, big game, like essentially it's monster hunter world just from space. Somebody so cool. remembers that interview with David Braben from the Kickstarter days. <laughs> yeah. I just, I may have watched it once or twice. Um, you know, I would just love, uh, I think it would be really cool gameplay to just see a cobra like flying down to an earth-like world and then just shooting out a harpoon and like bring something like the size of an elephant up into it and just to show you the scale <laughs> of your ship versus a fucking animal. Right. Like it's, you know, the thing is, and the other thing I really would love to see in Elite um, is, is really, you know, the connection between what we have within the game as a whole uh, and finally like, you know, put the pieces together, uh, essentially, like, you know, just make CQC integrated into it. Um, make multi-crew work with wings if you can. Like, I know there are different instancing codes will, will, is probably the best way to kind of, like, give it a very general overlook, which is probably not correct, but you know, I want more multi-crew functionality to be thought out. I want them to finish baking these half-baked ideas. Like, commit to it. Like, just really drive it home what you've started and make it all work together. I think that's what I want most out of the 2020 update is not so much new features and contents. Those would be the icing on the cake. I just want to see this work the way it's supposed to work. And for us to be able to work together as a community, like, you know, for commanders to be able to fly with other commanders in a way that makes sense, like make multi-crew worth it. Like I, I, I stand by this idea that the type 10 is the ultimate multi-crew ship because the gunpoint convergence fucking terrible on it so the idea is that you have a bunch of turrets you have a gunner and then you have an slf pilot like you know make it worthwhile for people to do it and you know yeah the type 10 is a bit of a brick to fly but i like flying that brick um so you know i don't mind piloting it if somebody wants to take on the guns and things like that and make it interesting and make you know multi-crew mining a thing if it's possible like make make it worth our time and put some thought into it and you know make the payouts fairer and like i guess a rebalancing is what i'm hoping for 2020 and then in terms of future content like add-ons and things like that elite feet would be cool again if we got some gameplay around it um atmospheric planets in my book would be oh that would be sweet i would love to really just be able to fly down to like an atmospheric planet like land on soul for example and just see what that looks like after all these years in world war three and you know if you read drew wager's book like you know what part of uh Spoiler alerts for anybody who hasn't read Reclamation. You know, there's a part where they go down to Earth and they land in old Cambridge and Cambridge hasn't changed much since the, the year 3305, which to me is a bit of a shocker considering Cambridge in itself is a bit of a bubble in the rest of the UK. But, um, you know, I would love to be able to see that. And then, you know, I know some people are talking about being able to fuel scoop from gas giants and things like that. But the thing is with gas giants, if you look at them, from a real world perspective with gas giants, like the atmosphere behind it and the science that's there, it's really quite interesting. So, um, you know, looking at different, uh, the, the, uh, the winds across the, the surface of a gas giant and 
the different pressures and how it actually like you know it may I I can't remember I think it's Jupiter's like diamond brain or mm-hmm. something like that on the surface. Like I would be able to love I would love to be able to find that in the game. And like you know if we wanted to make the game more if we want to put more gameplay around exploration, give us more scientific tools and interfaces that we can work with and like you know we have to go sample like the atmosphere so you got to go down you have to have a special module like a fuel scoop um to sample the planet and then the atmosphere of a planet or the atmosphere of a gas giant and then like you know a cargo rack with the right container fill it up and store it and then sell the data when you get back and then uh i think probably the other thing that would be quite cool is like you know taking the exploration data that we constantly give back to universal cartographics and do something with it like you know make mining rings depletable like really depletable like we've mined all the value out of this thing there's really not much left so you're just picking at the bones more or less like how it used to be like with depleted rings versus a pristine ring and then it forces us to go further out and out to find the materials like with core mining it's like it would be great if this was like we just mine the shit out of a ring and there's no more core materials in that ring so like all the low temperature diamonds are gone from boron. So now you got to find a new low temperature diamond spot. And it just forces us to do some more deep space mining and then bring it back. And then we have to arrange convoys to bring back, you know, uh, mining ship purely, or you have to design your build. So you have to take MPC interdictions, especially if you fly something like in a type nine or a type 10, where you can win interdictions. I've done it before, but it's not always the easiest depending on what you're approaching. Like if you're approaching a planet, it's like, well, it's either I get interdicted or I smash face first into this planet, and then the guy jumps in behind me. So, you know, in a Type 9, you're kind of screwed either way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I would love for them to actually, like, give us a bit more on that exploration end, make it scientific, and, you know, even take some of the pre-existing tools that we have from mining and combine it with the exploration. Like, you need to use a mining laser to get a sample of this core material, like this rock material on this planet, and then, you know, bring that back to the bubble. Uh, so it could be analyzed. Like I would love for them to take a bit more of a scientific spin on it, give us a reason to work with combat pilots, you know, cargo haulers, and uh, with explorer ships to kind of unify the gameplay that we have with each other, rather than just like, okay, bounty hunters are just going to go into a hazardous and um, haulers are just going to go from station to station. Like I want some deep space haulers to be able to take the stuff that's being mined out from deep space miners to bring it back to the bubble, like think the cant from like, you know, the, the expanse, like make it interesting. And that's, uh, I mean, these are just me spitballing ideas of what I think is cool. And, you know, whether we actually get it or not is a whole nother story. And, you know, whether this is feasible with what we have at the moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not thinking like in terms of other features to be added on to the game. Um, like I know a lot of people really want elite feet or space feet or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, even, for me, I think the most important thing, kind of going back to the whole point of this question, was to just make all of this work together. Unify what we have and then add on top of it. Right on. Yeah, that's... I think me and you are speaking the same language because I don't want uh, an FPS in space. Um, and I'm not entirely sure I even want... Uh, an FPS merged with my spaceflight sim. I don't know how that's would even really function in my brain in in Elite. Mm-hmm. Kind of the things that you know that I was looking forward to. Um, and it, it it if you go by that leak, you know the infamous leak, which has been you know like ninety five percent right up to this point. 
the only thing that's missing is number one, uh, this this release and the timing of some of the releases was a little off. Mm-hmm. But that could have just shifted, far as we know. So I, I kind of look at that leak as like, well, this is this is what's happening. We're going to get base building. We're going to get space legs. And to kind of go along with that, we talked with the pilot uh, a few months back, and he brought up a very interesting theory that mm-hmm. so so we're so we're getting uh, space stations with fleet carriers. I mean, we can call them fleet carriers, but there's there's they're player driven space stations is what they are. And it looks like we're getting base building with 2020. It's not really a stretch to kind of think, well, maybe Frontier is setting us up to burn the bubble, so to speak. Like, go through there and and have a huge Thargoid invasion and they wipe out, you know, hundreds of stations or whatever to where we have to kind of rebuild. And it's they're going to give us, I don't want to say a player-driven economy, but give us more player-driven things with... I'm going to park my fleet carrier here, or you're going to park your fleet carrier there, and mine's going to be a place where you can do trade, and yours is a place where you can do exploration. And then uh, I'm going to build a base here. There's going to be a mining base, and you're going to build a base here. There's going to be a Merc camp or something. Uh, Do you think it's possible that Frontier, or do you like the idea of Frontier, for lack of a better way to put it, burning the bubble? Yeah, I mean, to me, that actually gives like there are some consequences for our inaction. Like that's something I think is kind of missing from Elite is consequence. Like it seems like all right. So back in when they built like Obsidian Orbital, there was a community goal to keep like you know to build it out there, and and the more that they succeeded in different tiers, the more that they added on to Obsidian Orbital, like a shipyard. Mm-hmm. But we never hit that, and we said, yeah, no, I'm good. And as a result, we had no shipyard in the Pleiades for God knows how long. Um, and then when they started expanding the Pleiades and they brought shipyards out, and it's like, oh, okay, so well, obviously it's just the evolution of the storyline. That's fine, but like the thing is, if the community keeps complaining about it, eventually we just get our way. It's just like, oh, this is so annoying that we don't have this. This is so annoying that we don't have that. Oh, I don't understand why we can't have this. It's well, it's because you're not willing to put in the effort to go do it. Mm-hmm. And the you know part of it is that this is. This is a sandbox game. This is essentially for us to drive the story. It should not be just Efton putting things into place. But the way it works currently is that they set it up for us. We go and engage with it, and then yay, results happen, and then you know we get something out of it. Like with the Thargoids, I thought it would be awesome if they just were able to take out, like you know, if a system stayed in incursion long enough, like we didn't clear it. Uh, more and more Thargoids presence was increased, and then eventually. They overrun the system where the station is no longer operable, uh, can't even be repaired. It, everything's on fire there, and we have to push back, pushing us back in the bubble. And then eventually, like you know, it looked like Colonia was going to become our refuge because they were saying, "Oh, the number of people going to Colonia and Galnet was like increasing exponentially." And mm-hmm. you know, Colonia is overwhelmed at this point, and they're building more infrastructure to support it. So that kind of tied into the storyline of Colonia. Um, I think it would have been great if they were able to just burn these stations to the ground and like effectively destroy them, and just push us out of the bubble. And then, you know, if we if we're gonna get base building, make it meaningful. So if like we build up, we set up like a you know a little perimeter around the bubble as the Thargoids are pushing us back that we can retreat to. And then eventually we build up our resources and start reclaiming system after system. Like it would be really cool for them to just see like a Thargoid infested station where like they're actually, you know, appending the station with Thargoid. I don't know, pods or some shit like that. Like you, you go into the hangar bay 
it through the mail slot and it's just like a bunch of thargoid eggs all around you it kind of looks like the inside of the uh the thargoid bases that we found out in the pleiades yes like that would be totally badass and it's just like oh fuck like we have that jameson moment where like launch the fucking virus f these assholes <laughs> like i kind of want it to be like a little bit of independence day where you're just flying there and your cobra three mark three like through the mail saw screaming i'm back or or the uh the the, the very famous scene uh in Battlestar where they literally fly the ship over and boomer gets out to like you know, drop the nuke, but they're flying into the the base oh, star. Yeah. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Man. And all the boomers come walking up to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, that kind of thing would be really cool to see. But like in terms of how it would be executed, I know it's going to be like some people just don't want. Like there are some people who just want the galaxy to burn. There are others who just want it to be like the safe haven, and you know they want to play their way. And I think you know we should have consequences of inaction. You know, the things that occur, like, and then, of course, with this, make sure that you bring up the mechanics that we could, you know, in theory, take back the bubble and everything that we do does count towards what we're trying to effort, you know, the efforts that we're trying to put into it. And with base building, like, is it just going to be a cosmetic thing? Because it's like, oh, right. Oh, well, I've got this base here. I've built myself a really pretty looking house. And then I guess, like, Elite Feet is just, you know, you kind of hang out, like, or, you know, Space Legs is just, you kind of hang out in it. Um, for a while and just like walk around, look around and be like, yeah, cool. I've decorated this place quite nicely. And then hop back in my ship, fly off back around, do my missions and, you know, go back and forth. And like, cause I know there's no way that they're going to like tie base building into BGS and things like that. That will, the salt will flow yeah. <laughs> because people are like, I don't like mechanic. You can rig it. So like, you know, if somebody wanted to, um, they could build a base in someone else's territory and, like you have missions generated out of there and they could completely fuck with it, you know, with from the inside. Like it's the same thing with parking a fleet carrier in the system and like have it connected to GS. You can't do it. It'll just mess with things. Like the Genosis, even like there's a reason why it doesn't have a mission board and things like that. Like it's just a disconnected. And then the same thing with like any of the Aegis mega ships. Um, they're disconnected from the BGS except for the Tharg. Right. So, you know, they're not really gonna be tied in so much with the the actual BGS and the expansion of a particular faction that um because otherwise you just get too much power if you're able to jump in a mega ship then you can in theory invade a fa- like a, a system if it doesn't have enough for a minor faction in it or that at this rate how many there are still out there but um yeah i don't want to see them tied in in that sense and i i really would love just you know more consequences for our action like if we decided as a community that we didn't want to participate in that community goal or uh, you know, that we don't get the reward for it, or we there's opposing community goals rather than just like you know, you get credit for both for participating in both, like you get credit for one because you've done the one, if especially if it's on opposing factions, you know, you don't get that congratulations, like oh, thanks very much for participating in it. And like, you can't play both sides, like you join one or you join the other. And for the love of God, could we please, please, please get some community goals, some interstellar initiatives, whatever that that have three or four or five different ways to play it. You know, one, you play it for the Empire. One, you play it for the Federation. One, you play it for the Alliance. One, you play it for completely independent because you think that the, the people involved want A. And one, you play it, you know, <clears throat> you know, so, sort of as the independent good guys and one as the independent bad guys. Or like, you know, one independent that are like, sort of more welcoming of 
aliens or more in favor of a certain thing and one that are more defensive minded or against or I, I don't know, just some some sort of more dynamic than just A or B, pick one. Yeah. In that sense, that would be great. Like it would be able it would be great to be able to do that. But just like with the current system that we have that you can sign up to both sides of the CG and play both sides. Like I get it. We are supposed to be independent commanders who are able to play the field as we like in terms of supporting who we like and you know, we can play we can play the two sides against each other, but it's not done in a very constructive way where it actually has any meaning to the outcomes of it and you know what we get out of it and consequences of the galaxy as a whole. So, you know, we do see some impacts on the galaxy from player action, like the BGS, for example, and power play and things like that. But it's not so upfront and in your face that everybody sees it. Like I don't want one commander to be able to fuck over everything. I just want it to be like a collective group like of the entire like elite community has gone to the effort to bring it's like look at the colonia engineers like the unlocking that goes on there like ian doncaster and all those guys on the forums are kind of driving the uh colonia engineers to become just as good as the bubble engineers if not better in some instances um you know that's really great because that's a player driven initiative but again it's kind of in a way that bland kind of grind we've gotten used to and it's like oh no you just got to keep using them and keep you know Using the uh, the more like you engineer of the same module, the better they become at it. It just comes kind of redundant in a way and repetitive, and you know, people lose interest. Unfortunately, well, you know what that is when you do an interstellar initiative and you play both sides. If you do the Federation and the Empire, that means you're just role playing as Sirius Corp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is that. Like the, th- the thing is, like I look at my I look at my commander that I've made in the game. And I kind of realized that, like, I was thinking about it the other day when you asked, oh, you know, think about your, your, your experience in lead and career and lead. What are you dealing with it? Like some of the memorable events. And I thought about like, well, what is my character? Like, is he, what is his purpose? Galaxy signs making funny ports for the hotted trucker um, and being a discord lurker in canon. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of sat there thinking, that I was like, well, actually, you know, if I think about from when I first started, it was pretty much just, Showing up in a system, helping whoever needed help, uh, you know, with the bounty hunting, like helping clean up. Like essentially, it was a gun for hire, but he was a lawful good. If you want to go for the D and D roles, mm. like I don't really try to do anything um, too criminal in the game. Like I did try smuggling for a while, and it was really quite funny because I thought to myself, "I'll build a smuggler T nine because I thought that was a brilliant idea. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really quite funny, just like this giant thing, like silent running into the station. You're like, this has no shields; it's made of paper. <laughs> Let's whereas, not hit anything. Whereas the reality is, to be honest with you, a T9, if you're talking about real world, sm- like what smuggling would be like for realsies, the T9 would be the best smuggler because you would have hundreds of tons of bio waste. And then in a little compartment somewhere in the back, you would have, you know, a couple tons of Lavian brandy hidden. Yeah. Yeah. Like you'd be a bootleg or less just hiding amongst all the mass of it. Like- I, I I just remember doing that, and I was uh, I can't I think I was uh, I was shipping weapons in a giant like uh, personalized weapons in a T nine into a station that just doesn't like had a black market that would allow you to sell them for like a decent profit. And I was just like, I wonder how the smuggling mechanism works. Oh, it'd be really cool to do this in a T nine, and just it failed disastrously. Like, and the funny thing is, if you're caught smuggling, you just get a fine. Yeah, they don't mm-hmm. take away your stuff. It's like you're not going to even confiscate the cargo. You're not going to blow me up. You're not going to impound me. You're just going to fine me. It's a bit of a joke. And the fine is is negligible compared to the profit margin of smuggling. Mm-hmm. So 
So yeah, let, exactly. let's bring it back. You said, you know, bringing it back to where you started. Let's bring it back full circle here to where you started before Hutton, before the Intergalactic Mining Union, before Distant Worlds, before <clears throat> Canon Research. There was you and you were in, you, you signed up for the LRN. You joined the Lave Navy and helped in the the independence war tell us a little bit about that oh no the independence war came much later lave was a much later part of the story lave was like only last year roughly uh no sorry that's a little bit longer than that now um but yeah no i kind of came into lave like independence like i came into lave war too because there was originally the first attempt to take for lave radio network to take over uh the system of lave mm. uh and that did not go as well it was apparently a very valiant effort and uh, when the when Lave War Two kicked off, um, I kind of just came on because I was a big fan of the show, and I hadn't really joined too many communities. I was like, kind of like I was on the outskirts of Hudden at the time, and I started, you know, doing the report for Hudden, and I wasn't really doing so much of their BGS stuff. I wasn't really engaging with their pilots as much yet. And then Lave Lave Radio um, was kind of the Discord I hung out on the most, and it's where I got to know some people. And- I got to fly with him occasionally in the game, especially on Tuesday nights when the show was broadcasting. Like I'd be outside in my Cobra, outside Lave Station. I'd fly from the other side of the bubble, like in Diagwandry, and just fly out there and hang out in front and shoot the shit with some commanders while they were broadcasting. You know, occasionally if I had Twitch up, I'd see my ship on the screen and be like, hey, that's cool. Look at me on, you know, on TV, ma. Um, but yeah, so it was a lot of that. And then, um, then obviously the BGS work got involved were asking for help with it so i started really doing running a lot of missions with them and getting to know the guys that were really the ones who taught me more about the bgs than anything else and um you know trying to keep lave independent uh while the alliance factions resisted us and you know going through that and you know it was a very stressful time like every day you'd be checking you know on anara to see what your faction status was while you were at work when the tick happened to see if the effort you put in last night and all those missions paid off. Um, you know, this led to a lot of interesting uh, interactions to say the least, and also some BGS balancing. Cause like, for example, exploration data used to count for quite a lot um, in the BGS. And the same thing with like murder, you could tank a system just for murder. And it was like, Whoa, this is, you know, there, the only way to counter murder was through exploration data. And then frontier like was like, yeah, we'll take both these toys away. And uh, yeah, have fun guys. So, you know, they kind of, when the BGS changes came in initially with like Beyond, started reviewing it. Um, it left, you know, it left us in a bit of a place where working on the BGS was probably a little bit easier. But, you know, this was before Lave War 2 had ended. So we were constantly going back and forth trying to run missions, uh, you know, to keep Lave Radio Network above a certain threshold so we wouldn't get into a war or an election with anybody. And, you know, I did my best to kind of like keep the Discord updated. Like I would post in there like, all right, guys, here's the current faction uh, percentage influence that we have in the system. Please run missions for Lave Radio Network and just keep that going. And obviously um, that didn't leave a lot of good, you know, good blood between us and the Alliance factions. Lave Radio as an entity itself is supposed to be all inclusive to the Alliance Imperial uh, Federation independent communities. The Lave Radio Network is the in-game faction, and that is completely separate from the crew and the show. Mm-hmm. And I really want to distinguish that, is that the crew and the show really had nothing to do with Lave Radio Network's takeover of Lave. This was us fans driving that initiative, saying, like, we love the show so much, 
we want to show our gratitude by taking the minor faction that FDev put in game for you in Lave, because you know it is Lave Radio Network. And we want to make Lave for Lave Radio Network, because how stupid would it be for a bunch of radio hosts to actually control the system, especially knowing the history of like, if you've listened to the show and the stupid shenanigans that get up into that one too. Um, yeah, so we had a lot of, it was a lot of stress, like going back and forth and constantly monitoring the BGS. And like, I had to duck out at one point myself because my own, like I was spending way too much time stressing about that. And I was <laughs> going to toll my health and I was like, you know what, fuck. And then, um, you know, it was getting close a lot of the time with the Alliance factions. We had a lot of murder going on in the system between either players or between um, MP, like players murdering NPCs and us trying to run missions to counter it, to keep our influence up so we wouldn't get locked in a war. And then, you know, we were getting tired. Uh, we really wanted to make sure, though, that we, we were really dedicated to the cause. So we put in all our efforts. We stuck through it. And then when the last battle between us and the alliance faction that was being time took place. So the war that broke out, uh, because we, they matched influences, uh, we busted our balls as a whole team just to like a bunch of show fans all together, working their hardest to make sure that we stayed above and won that war. And we ended up doing it. And it was a fantastic feeling because it's like, oh my God, we just defended ourselves as a faction, like an unorganized group of players, really. Like, if you think about it, you know, like we didn't have like a lot of structure to our command and things like that. And there's really just a lot of efforts from you know people in the community who wanted to join in. Like Commander Scorbius came through and you know brought his faction with him to like run a few missions in Lave. Uh, you know everyone just kind of chipped in from the you know, like from the different uh, content creators and their communities, and we all had a good time with it. And yeah, when we won the last war, we were like, "This is fantastic! We've managed to hold Lave." And since then, we held the policy. You know, we kind of came to an agreement internally as well as externally that Lave Radio Network has no interest in expanding. We just want to control Lave because it's for the show. It's what we're interested in. And what we would like to do is maintain that. So the, and the good thing is because Lave has such a high population, it's really hard to expand out of. But because of the, the, the scourge um, where they broke out with that virus from the mm -hmm. Rockwell treatment or whatever that was, and we had to like cure the station. Uh, people selling to Lave Station at such a high uh, profit rate, margin actually boosted the faction point of expansion. So we fought, we saw for the first time since the Lave population changed as a mistake. By the way, because it used to be two point five million people, then it changed to like twenty or uh, I can't even remember how many people we have in Lave at this stage. At this, point. it's just that time of day and. I had a bit of a late one last night. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, they, uh, you know, they, they because of a, uh, a number error, like the population just skyrocketed one day in Lave after an update. So um, it's kind of hard to move it because you know it's it's a logarithmic scale between the influence that you can gain with missions and return diminishing returns and things like that. Working the BGS with a high population, so we suddenly expanded into Kalando Po, and we're like, holy fuck, how the hell did this happen? On the back of Rockforth fertilizer. Yeah, essentially, we're like, wow, a bunch of essentially manure, which is kind of appropriate if you think about it, that it, you know, something that's essentially <laughs> just used to make plants grow more or less, which is just horse shit, like managed to boost us out. So we're like, holy fuck, no, this isn't good. So we deliberately tanked ourselves in the expansion war. So we'd retreat back to Lave. So we would hold to our grounds and like, we're hoping 
you know, that we've proven to a lot of the people who thought that we were looking to invade Alliance territory or Fed territory or Imperial territory that we're really not expansionists. We're just fans of the show who want to see our home system under the control of the ridiculous radio hosts that entertain us every Tuesday night. And, you know, whether there's bad blood between us and the Alliance, I really certainly hope not. Like we did in the end, like looking back at those times, it actually was a lot of fun to work, like sit there and coordinate. Yeah, I got stressed out and, you know, it didn't take a toll on me, but it didn't stop me ultimately from paying the game long run. Like I took a little break and came back to it and it was fine. And, you know, I actually have no hard feelings towards any of the groups that were trying to oppose us. Um, I'm eternally grateful to all the groups that did help us. And the other thing that they have to remember is that whether or not you agree with who helped Lave Radio get control of Lave and maintain control of it, there is just as much as uh, much a part of the community as you, and they have every right to be playing the game with you, whether you like their gameplay style or not. Because in and for all intents and purposes, like groups like the Code, for example, get a bad rep. But reality is, they're just a bunch of pirate role players, and they're pretty friendly guys for the most part. Like if you chat to them, they're great. And then, if, especially if you get interdicted by them, they make it interesting. Mm. Like if you run, they're gonna you know try to shoot you out. But if you actually stop and like engage them, you can actually. I still remember like once someone got pulled up by them and they're like, give us 10, you know, 10 tons of painite. The person wrote back, I'll give you five. Give me seven. I'll give you six. Okay, six it is. And limpets. <laughs> I want limpets as well. <laughs> so, so like, you know, you get this kind of exchange with them. And they're, they're a fantastic group of guys. And on top of that, they're like content creators in their own right. So yeah. like with proper piracy, I have no problem with it. And, you know, some people just are, oh, these guys are just nothing but gankers. But in reality, a lot of them Guys, you just want to play a spaceship, be a pirate, right? Cool with me. I miss, I miss the old code commercials that you used to hear on Hutton Radio. You know, do you enjoy uh, murdering kittens? You are a pirate. <laughs> they were so weird. <laughs> they were so dumb and weird and funny. Well, that's the thing. Like, it started out as a lot of fun, and then it just kind of escalated where people are not into you know these kind of. Um, combat interactions with other players and it's like oh you know you're you're affecting my gameplay and things like that and you know what uh that's on you man for not enjoying it and not being able to laugh at yourself and you know have a bit of fun with it like i've personally flying in this game now for two and a half almost three years now um since the launch of horizon wow uh i think i've only been Oh, I've I've never actually been blown up by another player. Come to think of it, uh, no, wait, sorry, that's not true. I got blown up uh, by one commander when I was going down to a Thargoid site when they first were found. Um, and the funny thing is, too, is I saw him in space and he was like in a cutter, and I was like, oh, cool, another commander's coming in. So like this was an open, so I just sent O seven to him, and then you know I didn't hear anything back, and I was like, all right, whatever. And I was going down to the planet, and I was in my little paper asp. In open, which probably wasn't the brightest idea at a new hotspot <laughs> for like, you know, alien activity. So you, you knew it was going to be there probably. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, STC comes flying in and blows the shit out of me. And that's the end of that. And I was like, okay, if all that happened, and I ended up back in Ray Gateway. So just like, all right, I'm going to launch again. Out I go. And then, you know, um, I did an instance with them that time. So it got actually down to the ground and it was fine. So I was like, okay, if that happened. But the other time I would, I think someone tried to attempt to, uh, to, to gank me was actually when I was on my way to an engineering base in open. Um, this was like Brew Tarquin, and I was in, I was delivering like fusion tea to unlock him. Mm-hmm. And I just see this anaconda coming all the way from the base, like straight at me. I was like, all right, cool, another player here. You know, send the 07. And he sent an 07 back. 
and I'm in my little asp, and I like had decent shielding on it this time, and uh, I put a military grade hull in it because I was like, well, you're flying it open, you know, you don't want to get exploded when you only got how many. You don't want to constantly be doing fusion T runs. So, sure enough, he turned around, he interdicted me, and I submitted to the interdiction, and then I just did the normal thing, which you should do in interdiction, which is turn around, face the guy, boost right at him, and then jump system. Mm-hmm. I made it out with 30% hull. I survived the instance. Was I a scarred individual from the, the interaction? No. In fact, I just sent the guy in 07 and said, GG, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like, there's something to think about. Either A, you're playing against another guy who's just bored and wants to do something, in which case, if you don't give him any salt and just react, you know, like normal or whatever, then it's like, okay, that's, you know, that's a easy sort of interaction and whatever, no big deal. <clears throat> or you're playing against a sort of basement dwelling 12 year old who is the kind of guy that shouts racial slurs online at every comment section anywhere, just because they're trying to mine your salt. They're trying to get a reaction. In which case, if you just give him a GG and go on, you've just ruined that guy's whole day. <laughs> <laughs> and I live for that, so I'm good with it. Yeah, and the, like the thing is, I've had a lot of good interactions with Open. Like I still remember people were like, "Oh, you can't fly an Open to Sirius to go see Marco Quint. You're gonna get ganked." I remember flying all the way out to like Marco Quint's base with three other guys, and it was great. We were just chatting in system, like, "What you doing here? Grinding Sirius rank? Yeah, me too." <laughs> so we just kept going like that, and we were just flying through Super Cruise, just chatting with each other, like, yeah, no, I've, I've got my 25-module terminals. I've only got 13 with me. I'm going to go drop these off and get more. And Yeah, so there's been a lot of good interactions in Open, I would say. And like, I still remember uh, during Lavor, uh, too, oh, my God, Archon Fury decided, like, it was right before LaveCon, and we were trying our best to, like, keep the system independent for LaveCon. Um, and uh, Archon Fury decided it was the night to go out on a spree in open to remind people to go to LaveCon. So he took out his Sidewinder with Enforcer cannons on it and just like was terrorizing the living daylights out of all of us <laughs> flying through Lave and then the surrounding yes. systems. So I was in my Type 10, like just going to drop off a bunch of mining stuff that I like a bunch of mining commodities that I had just gotten. And, you know, uh, pretty much I was just looking to make a profit. I don't care whether the station really was going to give me that much off of it. I was just like, a positive BGS transaction. And, uh, <laughs> He stopped me, and I just completely spaced that I had guns on the damn ship. And he was just wrecking my T10. And he was just like, oh, you're, you better be going to LaveCon. And I just wrote back, I'm like, dude, I totally am. I swear to God, for the love of God, just let me fucking land. And he's like, <laughs> I ain't going to kill you. I'm just going to fuck with you. <clears throat> so I was like, you know what? Yeah, credit where credit's due. And I just kind of laughed about it. And then funny enough, a guy in the IMU um, next day pings me on Discord, and he's like, Hey, he caught you with your pants down. And I was like, yeah, because <laughs> you put it on YouTube and everything. Because so, you know, I was like, oh, shit. Gotta <laughs> this love is it. shameful. Gotta but yeah, it. It, was just, it was just really quite funny because like that Type 10 is built to you know, take a bit of a beating. But at the time, I just never thought to engineer the hull, which was my mistake. So mm-hmm. yeah, lesson learned. But you know, these are the things that kind of make the game interesting. I mean, these days, uh, depending on internet connection, will kind of dictate whether I go into open or not. Because there are days the internet connection is great really reliable and open is perfect and there are other days it's absolutely terrible so i have to jump to the solo because just literally the moment i jump to open there is lag yeah. so 
So not just the general question that we ask everybody of like, well, what do you want out of 2020 paid update or what do you want out of uh, uh, fleet carriers or whatever? Because we do. We ask that to everyone. And it's a good question. And, and Are you emulating me? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm saying. That's what it sounds like, man. No, no. He's no, throwing no, you under the bus. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not at all. But what I'm saying is, let's say, okay, this is fantasy island time. Ready? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Tomorrow, you win the lottery. It's, you know, $800 million, and for whatever reason, you decide to drop $400 million on FDEV stock, and now you are a massive shareholder, yada, yada, yada. And you sit down with David Braben, and you tell him, all right, this is what I want. So this is completely white chalkboard. This is not the realistic. That's what I meant when I was saying Mm -hmm. before about the other questions. I'm not saying realistic stuff. I'm not saying, you know, things that, you know, oh, I think we can expect this. Like, what would you, if you could have anything, how, what, any, any, any one thing or five things, whatever, what would you like to change? What would you like to like say, man, I want to go in this direction or that direction, or we're just going to change how we do this or how we do that or just anything at all. Open, complete white chalkboard, no boundaries. Ooh, uh, that's a, oh. Hmm. <clears throat> Thing is like, I, I, you know, it's not that I love everything we have. I do like everything we have at the moment for the most part with obviously some caveats to that, but if I was just to say, like, all right, complete blue sky thinking, like, what I really want, like, I want black holes to be fucking deadly. Like, you show up in system, it's going to suck you in unless you have, like, built your ship properly to escape, you know, to reach escape velocity to actually get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if instead of just the collision model where we have it now, where we just jump in and it's like you get a little bit of heat damage, it goes, yeah, you've collided with the black hole. That's nice. Yeah. Um, I would, I would love, love for it. it. I, I would just, what you're saying with that, I would love for it to be that if you're in the same system, with the black hole, you're scared because you know at any moment it can suck you in and you're at the rebuy screen. Yeah, and like even not only that, but like with like I, I don't know how like hardcore sci-fi fans you are. If you watch the old Stargate, like when they connect oh, yeah. into a system with a black hole, like how it fucked with time and shit like that. Oh yeah. I would love for that to like, you know, actually see some of those like this real world astro like the, the physics come into play <laughs> and how they gameplay. So it's like Oh, you know, you you enter a system with a black hole. As you get closer and closer, obviously the time delay starts to increase, and you know it starts like you know affecting how other. Actually, it would give a good excuse for the network banding that we see uh, in the game. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, right. if you think about it that way, because it's like you know sometimes players just jump randomly. You could just say, "Oh no, it's a fucking black hole system." That's why you know we see this rubber banding. So <laughs> time so is relative. So we're gonna go but, around Robin. My my thing would be. Take, I would say, okay, let's take Planet Zoo and Planet Dinosaur or whatever the other and, and Jurassic World Evolution. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly that. My favorite, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> take those, right? And we're going to populate all of these planets. We're going to literally put the money into it to say <clears throat> every last one of these planets is going to have stuff. And I mean, some of them could be desert planets, some of them could be ice planets. Some could be whatever, but they're all going to be sort of interesting and meaningful ecosystems. And some of them might have ice zones or whatever and mountains and, and, and some of them might have rainforests and you could put, you could put creatures of some kind or not like whatever, but, but actual ecosystems at, at the very least to start off with of, I would love to see 
to start off with ecosystems of plants and then down the line have somebody just design some, you know, 50 or 60 or 80 different types of sort of non-sentient alien creatures and then let the computer take those and populate them as they will all over the galaxy or variations thereof. Okay, just really quickly before Ty jumps in to counter that, like essentially what you're asking for is similar to like what they're doing with Star Citizen. So it's a good thing that you didn't ask for a time frame, you know, well, in terms so, of no. this investment. No, no, very, very different. Because with Star Citizen, what they're doing, everything is bespoke, everything is handmade, everything is some guy sitting at a computer for 30 hours to to develop this two square feet of rainforest. Uh, so I'm you're looking for procedural using they're using their stellar forge and procedural generation stuff because they do have procedural generation of like footage square footage or whatever of area for planet zoo and whatnot i'm talking about building really? that out extrapolating that out oh that's awesome i actually didn't know they were doing that with planet zoo so yeah. when if you put those two together with the fact that they're on the same engine it it could lead for some very exciting possibilities if you were to say Hey, we got all these hundreds of millions of planets every which where, and we have the ability to make them do stuff. And let's make them. All right, see, Todd, I, yours. Awesome. I, see, I actually have a running theory that um, Planet Zoo, Jurassic World Evolution, um, I think that those were basically, well, I think that they were working on the uh, atmospheric stuff for a while now. And then uh they got the license for jurassic world and they're like oh we can make a crap ton of money with this we gotta pause this and work on this and i think that's i feel like that that's kind of what happened with their whole uh kind of why you know frontier i don't want to say stopped working on elite but they kind of paused production on elite to some degree so and, you think engine improvements then to see how far they can take it with these other things to tie I it back in yeah, I, I I think they're coming. Um, I I don't know if I would fly out say engine, uh, like graphics engine improvements, but maybe like a like a like a like a database background stuff so they can integrate more things. I feel mm. like I feel like Planet Zoo and Jurassic World Evolution. I feel like those were uh, test beds uh, for 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 their new uh, generation system uh, things they're going to add to the Galaxy <coughs> Forge. Or the Galactic mm -hmm. Forge, so that they can give us uh, atmospheric worlds and landings. Because without a doubt, when you make a world world in Planet Zoo, it's procedurally generated, and mm -hmm. uh, it, we know for a fact it runs on a heavily modified Cobra Cobra engine. And to me, it's not a stretch. To me, it's like this already exists in your universe. Let's just just kiss and make a baby. <laughs> 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 and, and, you know, to kind of long, go along with that, you know, um, it wasn't too long ago that on the ARC store, we saw mm -hmm. the, was it the ARC store where they, they had uh, the, the... The coding, it was the net code behind <sighs> it. Where, yeah. Oh, yeah, for the cosmetics for the bases. And that's why everyone was like, we're yeah. definitely getting base building. Well, it was the cosmetics for bases, and it was the uh, water landing gear that was. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the date on that was, but there was something so, labeled water landing gear. So, That's okay, there's two different. the The net coating on the Arcs site had about the about that. The water landing gear was 
data mined from directly from raw game files. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, that's the thing. Like with the, uh, I, I'm kind of really opposed to the whole data mining of game mm-hmm. files. So I think it's just like, it's really nice to know where a certain game is heading and what kind of, you know, things are built into it that we're not aware of. Like having that knowledge mm-hmm. is always nice, knowing the future or something, but it also takes away from the surprise of it. And I think this is also something like we have a problem with going towards the 2020 update is the mitigating expectations. And, you know, people are like, I definitely want this. I definitely want this. And they keep hyping it up themselves in a way. And then obviously it's not delivered to their standard. They get disappointed. And I've kind of fallen into this trap with other games, like with like the old Republic and things like that. I thought it was going to be so much more. Like I thought it was going to be like that trailer that we initially saw for it. And we're like, oh, fucking badass. It's going to be like crazy Sith fights. No, it ended up just being us swinging light sticks at each other. Um, so I was just like, oh, okay, well, that didn't play out like I was hoping. It was essentially just a WoW clone for Star Wars and wasn't the, the universe I was hoping. Like with all, all the spaceship combat was just shooter on rails and it wasn't that interesting, you know, all that hype. After that, I kind of learned my lesson and I was like, all right, just kind of temper your expectations. Just let the company do what they're going to do and hopefully they do it well enough that you're happy to still play the game. But I know... You know, it's easy to get sucked into the hype. You like, really want more out of it. And you, we all get angry at the potential of what this game holds, and that when it doesn't reach it, we get upset. And it's like, yeah, but the thing is, we're not the ones developing this game. It's on the developers to bring that, and whether they succeed or not, you know, well, you know, we take what we have. We should be happy with it, I suppose, in a way. But at the same time, if you are going to voice a criticism to it, don't be like a complete dick about it and be like, fuck you, man. You know, you're such shit at your job. Yeah. You know? But like, be constructive about it. Be like, look, I hate to say it, but that update sucked. But, yeah. you know, let's, yeah. can we, can we at least, you know, you know, the suggestions forum sometimes <clears throat> actually, the forum sometimes could be this wonderful combination of dumpster fire and sage wisdom. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know how else to describe it because there's no, just you're so right. Much, <laughs> like, like you look at it, you're just like, this is a complete shit show. But every now and then there's like a real gem buried in there. And you're like, holy fuck. <laughs> well, for example, the, the mining change that we were just talking about, uh, I think everyone here in this, in this channel has more or less stated they're in agreement with, okay, making those minerals more susceptible to the supply and demand, therefore making it sort of more complicated to earn profit for them. We're all in agreement. The whole mm-hmm. thing of they, they give you less based on how much you have regard, with no regard whatsoever to the actual supply versus demand. We're all in disagreement. We all, I think all of us are critical of that and say, hey, change that, please. That's not a good idea. But none of us are like, I hope your kid dies of cancer. I hope you get fired. I hope lightning strikes your wife in the forehead. Like, no, man, you guys got to stop with all that shit of like, like these are people. These are human beings that make a game that you love. And they did not come up with the idea of making this game because they really were hoping the long con was going to be eight years from now. I'm going to screw them over. Like, no, they're trying to make a thing that you like, but they also have limitations on what they can do. And they also are human beings that make mistakes. And they also have you know, business things that are pushing at them that would make them lead them towards making decisions that, you know, maybe you wouldn't make from the aspect of just looking on what you think is best for the game. They're human Mm -hmm. beings 
that are doing their best. And you know what? Their best is pretty damn good. Yeah. They made something pretty goddamn awesome. And in the times that they make mistakes, because I guarantee you, FDev is not done making mistakes. They will make more mistakes. And I love oh, God, that yeah. they will make more mistakes because people who don't make mistakes are people who don't take any chances. And that's boring. So when they do make mistakes, point it out in a non-inflammatory way, ask for, you know, some changes, listen, give them feedback, give them lots of data points of saying, wow, that the community does not seem to like this part of the change. How about we keep in the supply and demand and get rid of the amount by cargo? Let's, let's, let's make this change and see. Well, there's, there's also a very real possibility. And I brought this up the other day. I think that they're testing a bunch of things that they're not telling us. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that they're uh, making changes like a good example is the supply demand thing. I think it's going to take three, six months for that whole thing to settle down and become a normal. Even if they left it alone the way it is right now for the supply and demand to kind of equal out, like they can't just press a button like, all right, it's going to be just like this for forever. It could be a situation where it takes them months before they actually see how the uh, supply and demand works out at stations because it takes that long for the BGS to kind of settle down. Mm -hmm. And um, just like they've rolled out all these different system states to us and they kind of, they kind of, they, they kind of shotgunned them out there. Like, Hey, here's five new ones. And, you know, we talked to tweaked a couple weeks ago. They still don't quite know how some of that stuff, how some of the new stuff works. Mm -hmm. And he's, oh, he's, yeah. he's a BGS guy. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that they're testing some things now. So they have that data go 2020 update for whatever big thing they're looking at. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so if, if you look at it from that point of view, like, you know, they're testing this and yeah, it may suck or yeah, it may be great. We don't really know. I'm, I'm okay either way, you know? So, uh, the, the, the open, you know, open, completely open chalkboard, no limits idea that, that, uh, that Atris had was about sort of more danger and more and more whatever. Um, since he's the guest, we're going to give him two. Mine cool. was the procedurally generated planets thing. Uh, let's go with Ty, your your open sky idea, and then we'll go back to Atris and give him another one. You know, if <laughs> if there was one major change I'd make to this game, um, and as weird as it sounds, uh. I don't like the lack of interaction or the lack of impact the player has on the universe as a whole. And yeah, I, I get that. I'm a very ant in a giant ant colony. I get that. Um, and I don't want the exact opposite because right now when you play World of Warcraft, uh, you're running around, you're a god is what you are because you've been boosted up so long and I, I freaking hate that feeling. So I definitely don't want that. So there's got to be a middle ground somewhere. And the way I kind of think about it is I would like uh, set piece stories to be able to be played. And I think it'd be cool for a player who wasn't around at the Salome murder to be able to go back and play that to some degree. I would like for, uh, because I, I get asked a lot, 
hey, what was it like when the first unknown artifact was discovered? Oh man, it could do these things. It generated, it scanned your ship and generate these numbers off the sound, and it give you a little 3D model. It was so cool. Well, nobody has any idea of that. Like someone joining the game now, they have no understanding of what that was like. Where we didn't know what these things were, and it was so mystical. And you, you, you wanted to go get your ship scanned, and it was. It was unless you're Kai, unless yeah. you're Kai, who's gone back and listened to everything since like the day of <laughs> the dawn of time about elite. Well, and, and you know, kind of go along with that. Most people do not have the kind of time to be able to listen to a three-hour show for mm-hmm. you know, you know, most people do not have that kind of time. So how do you how do you do that? So my idea was, um, like, what about historical missions, like? You could go and uh, you could be one of the pilots trying to protect Salome on her journey back to whatever. Or you could be one of the pilots trying to kill Salome. And it's all mm-hmm. NPC. It's all instanced out, et cetera. And I'm also going along the lines of, I hope, you know, I think the biggest mistake that FDev ever made in this game was... Uh, Wings versus multi-crew not working together. It's complete bullshit that they don't work together, and it feels like it feels like an engine limitation. And if they don't fix it, they are really missing the boat. Uh, and it's really kind of counterproductive toward the fact that they have this game where they are in, they are impressing people to play together, and then they limit the way that you can play together. And it's it feels weird. So. I want them to fix that. I want them to fix TQC, the ability to queue while you're in your ship. They need to fix that. And then give us the ability to go back and play set pieces. And uh, yeah. Also, give us the rings where we can drop racing rings down a canyon. Give us, <laughs> give us that. Let us play that. Like, this shit only like, exists. Give it to me. Ty's like, look, if I'm investing all this money, I'm giving you three ideas, bitches. Go with it. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, though, I agree with Ty on a lot of these. Like, I th- oh, oh, yeah. the only thing I disagree with is maybe like make CQC only accessible from a station because of a lore <laughs> standpoint. Um, like, this kind of ties with this whole telepresence bullshit. Um, it really annoys me about the lore that, um, you know, you telepresence into another commander's ship and you can just literally remote control it. So, you know, if you do that, though, your ship and wherever you were just disappears. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, safe haven. We've been uploaded into the Matrix and now I'm in this other guy's ship. Cool. Well, well, they do have already though the things like like let's say if you're in a dangerous situation like you're right in the middle of the Guardian ruins, if you go to board flip, if you go to hop like to to reset the instance, mm-hmm. it'll say like uh you're in a dangerous place right now. You can't. It needs, you know, um 20 yeah, seconds, 30, second 30 seconds, whatever to count down. So yeah. to, to kind of compromise for that, what if you were out? Because like, let's say you want to do some CQC just because you went out in the black, you've been out for three months and you're like, man, if I scan one more planet, I'm going to lose my shit. I want to just fly around and pew, pew, pew and, and be silly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in that case, you know, you're not in a situation. It's not like we're talking about you're fighting an interdiction and you're like, sign up for CQC quick so I can get my way out of it. I think what mm-hmm. Ty is referring to is a system like they have in other games where you can sign up for uh, battleground type content, PVP type content in open world. But in order to do it, 
you have to be in a safe situation so that mm-hmm. like, let's say your Q pops for CQC and it says you're getting, go- you're going you're ready for CQC, get to a safe location. You have 60 seconds and then yeah. you get to a spot 60 seconds later or at any point within that 60 seconds, you click okay. And then it gives you a 30 second countdown, a 30 second where you cannot move, you cannot booster, you cannot uh, fire a lasers, you cannot do anything. You have to stay non-moving for 30 seconds. Now, mm-hmm. if you're fighting an interdiction in your type nine full of void opals, you're not going to do that as your way to get out because you're going to be dead in 30 seconds. Yeah. You, you, mm-hmm. So that would put it in now into a place where it's only usable as they mean it to be used by people who want to do CQC anywhere out in the world in a safe spot, not by people who are trying to use it as an exploit to get out of a combat situation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, w- 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 if you look at kind of how uh, World of Warcraft does battlegrounds, and that's the best example I can give you, is you know you flag it for a battleground, it might take you 10, 15 minutes. You can be off doing other things until it pops. And when it pops... You know, you kind of get your character to a safe spot and then you're teleported out. Now, the the lore behind CQC is that you're doing it from telepresence anyway, which I mm-hmm. agree with you. I have kind of have it almost sounds magical to me from a scientific point of view. Uh, but well, you know, the, also, the, the whole thing is just the bandwidth. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you need a good condition. Like if you remember one of the Drew Rager, I think it was the first Drew Rager book. Um, where he was like, oh yeah, the guy needs to do it at his company because it has, it's the only one that has like a large enough bandwidth for him to actually participate in CQC from his location. Like, so I was right. saying, like, dock up at a station and like, then do it because that way it's like, oh, I at least have the excuse that I'm using the station's broadband rather than like magic Wi-Fi that I have out in space. Like, my data bill would be through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, I, I, and I get that from a lore standpoint. I think more from a gameplay standpoint. Like I said, for let's say Ty's out there for a month and a half, and he's on the other mm-hmm. side. He's you know eighteen jumps from Beagle Point and five hundred jumps from anything else, you know, and he wants to do some CQC, you know. But but let's say for example, as a middle ground there, just. I think the main reason why Ty wants CQC to be more queuable this way is so that people will queue it just so he can get some matches. Maybe a middle mm. ground there is to go with the exegious uh, way of saying, put missions on the mission board to go defend your faction's honor for CQC. If you do that, way more people will be doing CQC, and then Ty will still be able to get a match. Well, yeah. th- there's also something around... I mean, this is a video game, and there's certain things that even in the video game, they're just kind of like, all right, you just have to accept that it's just a video game. You know, it's not going to be perfect science. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a a perfect example of that is like when we die, you know, why do NPCs die when we shoot them, and why do we get to magically eject every time, you know? Well, hang on a second. I'm pretty sure I've killed Mrs. Trellis from North Wales about like 12 times. That bitch. (laughs) True story. True story. True story. Yeah. All right. Matter, so that's... I killed I killed Cthulhu the other day. Just FYI, that was a highlight. Nice. You killed <laughs> uh, 
It's actually Cthulhu, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it depends gonna, who you talk be, to. I've always heard it pronounced Cthulhu. So I'm gonna be the uh, I'm gonna be the old god hipster. Uh, actually, <laughs> I was uh, praying to Cthulhu before it was cool. <laughs> all right, but so we've gotten all of ours. Now back to Atris for his bonus idea. What's your bonus blue sky, big sky, anything goes idea? Oh, right. Well, the thing is, like, you guys already presented some good ones. And the, the unfortunate thing about me is that sometimes I can't be that imaginative of an individual. But if we're to tie it back in what we were talking about with the consequences from the Thargoids, I want mm. some fucking mechanics to see the bubble goddamn burn. It actually means something. So it's like, yeah, we didn't do enough to defend this system. It's gone now. We're going to have to repopulate it. So actually thinking about being able to lose an entire system to Thargoids and then having the mechanics rebuild it and repopulate it. The Battlestar universe type scenario. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just, I want, I, I, it, it sounds, I, I know I'm kind of harping on about this, but I just want consequences for our gameplay, for our actions that mean something, and like for community and action to actually have a fucking consequence rather than just like, oh, we originally did have a consequence for it, but enough of you complained that we're now revoking that, uh, that inaction, the consequence of that inaction. So I think Ty's a little bit in love with you right now. <laughs> yeah, I've, 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 I've been. First of all, I've been screaming for years that it feels like the Thargoids. I mean, they're invading our space. These are aliens. These are aggressive aliens. And yeah, maybe, maybe we started the war, which I do kind of believe, but uh, we'll never know. But from our from our pilots' point of view, these are aggressive aliens. Mm-hmm. Why are they not more aggressive? Why is this not more horrible? that's happening to us. Why are more people not like, Oh my God, we got to get out there. We got to defend the bubble or run to Colonia or something, you know? Mm. Yeah. Actually, if- the funny thing is like regarding Thargoid interactions, someone on Canon posted the other day, like a summary of the sounds that they make. And it's like, Oh, if you stay within their, like, you know, within their range, like the underneath that 500 meter distance, like they get really threatened and, you know, they obviously make that noise where they're like, I'm going to fucking blow you up kind of noise. And then if you mm-hmm. um, if you maintain a distance, but you have meta alloys in your cargo hold, and you don't give them any, they make like kind of this sad puppy noise. They <laughs> <laughs> go, and they kind of like fly off. And you're just like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, I, I'm, 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 I, I would love to see it to where if we don't, just like you said, if we don't interact, if we don't defend, then we can lose space. And maybe it doesn't happen all at once because that way it gives people a time to. To, to counteract it. Maybe it's, maybe it's, hey, if you guys don't defend, don't defend, you know, 10 light years inside the bubble toward Pleiades and Witch, in uh, Witchhead, we're going to lose the 10 light years and we're going to lose yeah. those stations. And then, Draw you know, the put, line in the sand. yeah, just like you said, put more, put mechanics in there to where we can get it back to where we can earn it back. But let it, you know, what I'm imagining is Sid Meier's from space. That kind of of scope, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but the thing is, though, like, I know one of the arguments that a lot of people are going to have is like, oh, my player group's been working this minor faction out there. We lost our system. There's not enough of us to defend it. FDEV, we weren't interested in combating the Thargoids. You know, we wanted nothing to do with them. Now they've ruined it. And, you know, we're going to get that kind of that feedback as well. And it's just like, well, actually, if you think about it, the game of Elite was never supposed to be about Galactic conquest supposed to be one commander versus the galaxy and uh you know and it's the thargoids were always the old enemy like they are the russians of space for us um yeah and you know it should actually mean something like when the thargoids show up in system like oh fuck like 
really, we need to get our act into gear. So start forcing player cooperation between other BGS groups that would normally would not be cooperating to just fend off Thargoids. And it's like, okay, really take the Cold War that's supposed to happen in the lore between the Empire and the Federation and the Alliance as well. Like, take the Cold War that's supposed to be there and actually bring it to the players. Like, make us have our own Cold War. We're just working cooperatively against a common enemy and we're still like keeping that arm's length distance between ourselves just to make sure that we maintain the space and humanity. And like, if we do lose a space, like if we do lose the Pleiades, let's say, or the Witch Head like have it so we can just set up a staging ground, like where all our forces meet up and we're like, all right, we're all going to jump in. Like this person's going to, like this group is going to jump into this, into this system and start, you know, working on taking out the Thargoids there. And this group's going to jump into the other system nearby. And then if we see like, you know, it, uh, it would be amazing if they could make some kind of like, you know, uh, panel that would allow us to see the status and other systems like really easily without having to go into like six different sub menus. And, you know, oh, we see that they're losing on this effort, like around this planet. So we'll send some of our pilots because we're doing really well, like to reinforce them rather than having to use like Discord for them to come on and like message, like, hey, we're getting fucked. Get over here, you know. <laughs> Or you know, for that matter, if you're if you're one of these player groups that are on the that are on the fringe out there that are in, that are in danger of losing yourself to the Thargoids, you know, I'm I'm about to call up you know the the BGS next to me and say, hey, we're both in danger here. Why don't we help each other? Yeah. You know, if I only got twenty, you know, twenty thirty people in my group, and you only get twenty thirty people in my group, well, now we got sixty people in our group. Let me give you give you an idea here. My in game squadron, the loose crew squadron, has I think. 25 people in it right now right now uh all this week last time when i logged out last night i have logged in today we are number 42 on the axi ranking for the month yeah i saw that that's pretty impressive man <laughs> and i'm and you know you know there's a lot of folks that i gotta thank you know dubs is one of them he's been out there a lot uh raxless been doing a lot of them kai's been doing a lot of them i've been out there I've actually died more in the last week than I think I have in the entire game. So, uh, <laughs> I'm actually combat elite. You know, I got combat elite by fighting scouts way back in the day. So, uh, but my point is, is that if 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 it's a situation where a little a little, and I, I don't even have a BGS, but if a little BGS can get taken over by the Thargoids, then make it you know either a lower the bar a little bit or b work. Get your people to work together a little bit because my, my little bitty squadron who's, you know, we just have 20 people in it or so, we're making an impact. Otherwise, just, we wouldn't be ranked as high. And just to well, throw it out there because you, you, you mentioned the squadron, I just pulled it up right now. Mm -hmm. We had a pending application from Commander Unspent. Congratulations, live on air. You've just been approved. You're the newest member of the squadron. Congratulations, <laughs> Commander Unspent. You've joined a good group of guys. So, so, but like the thing is though, like this is kind of why the coalition exists in a way, and that's why Lave Radio joined it. It's not like you know Lave was ever under threat by Thargoids, but we're happy to you know as part of the community, like Lave Radio Network itself, not the show. Um, really important to distinguish that, and I can't emphasize to the listeners enough that Lave Radio Network is not the show. So remember that we are just fans of the show. Like we joined the coalition, and there have been plenty of joint operations with the other coalition members to help AXI, who's part of it, to actually defend the Pleiades and Operation Ida, who we used to be a part of it, but they decided to kind of bow out to be a more neutral party because um, they didn't want to play sides. Um, but you know, we are there helping each other out whenever the Thargoids are threatened one of our systems or one of our allies' systems. 
that were not in the coalition, like we've been happy to jump in and lend the hive and the AXI mm-hmm. a hand. Um, you know, to send pilots out there and Hackswing the same thing. Hacks is like Hudson's not part of the coalition, but you know, if AXI is saying, "Oh, we're going to be working in Taigeta today," uh, I'll put in the Thargoid report like, "Oh, you know, Hackswing should be focusing on working in Taigeta. That's where AXI is staging its operations right now. And if you don't want to work there and fight the Thargoids actively, fight them by helping rebuild and help operations <laughs> in, uh, in this system." And things like that to give players options and to show that like it's not just combat to engage them to fight them. You know, like you can do evacuations, you can do station repairs, you can do emergency supply deliveries. It's lots of different ways to kind of engage with the Thargoid story. But it would just be great if we got more groups involved with it because then we would be more successful <clears throat> in defending the systems. It's only when a system comes under threat that people start acting together. And when you start seeing systems burning and they're getting closer and closer to your territory, you're like, shit, I need to get my acting together and start talking to my neighbor and seeing like what the fuck we can do. And well, that, yeah, that, that, that's super interesting because that, that reminds me, there was a speech that Ronald Reagan gave in the eighties when he was president of the United <laughs> States, where he literally said like, you know, there's so much conflict on this planet, us versus the Russians, the Cubans versus, you know, this, that, and the other, and, you know, Catholics and Protestants, this, that, and the other. But if aliens were to show up tomorrow, we would all pull together as humans to fight them off or whatever. And everybody was a little bit like, "Uh, are you trying to tell us something, bro? Like he was, he was, what's going on? But it was a super, it was a super interesting speech for a sitting president to give. And it was, uh, and it's it's, in everything that is, was in that speech sort of rings to mind from, from what you were just saying. And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, when it comes down to it, if you, if it's versus, you know, huge insects that are going to eat us, uh, yeah. Federation and Alliance, I think, you know, do not that different. Everybody's pulling for the same side. Well, that's the thing. Like they kind of formed Aegis to be the unifier between the three factions, and like it's just done a piss poor job of it. To be friends, to be fair, yeah. like like I would really, I, I think, like you know, in general, the storyline is there. It's just not very fleshed out in the details that we would love to see, and the interactions that we're lacking with the Thargoids beyond just dumping cargo or shooting them. Um, you know, there, there are certain things that I would love for them to flesh out a bit more and maybe going into details and maybe making Aegis a competent, you know, agency. <laughs> like, I still remember, like, there was a, a Galnet article that, like, oh, Aegis has sent, like, you know, the Federation and the Empire sent capital ships off into this sector that, like, the Coal 70 sector where we weren't yeah. allowed. And yeah. the capital ships are fighting there and it's completely ineffective. And it's just like, well, why the fuck would they send them there? It's completely ineffective. You tell us and then we can't even go and assist them. Hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, independent pilots, Best way to defend the bubble. Uh, yeah, that, that's for record. The work that Aegis is doing, though, nah, just a bit shit. Well, did uh, you guys, did you see the this just released the other day on Friday, the the most recent uh, Commander Burr's uh, Thargoid report? Uh, no, I haven't yet. Oh, uh, it's brilliant. So first off, I, I watch it every week. I love love Burr, love everything that they do over there. And even though, you know, we release our Thargoid report Thursday night, which comes information pulled directly from AXI, it's still good. I look at it just for stuff because he covers little things in an interesting way. And one of the things that he covered in in the one from this Friday, everyone should go look at it. Well, from Friday, 
as of February 1st. So the, the last one in January he did, <clears throat> it included the fact that there was a screw up and they actually had the Thargoids moved into a system and happened to be too close to a CZ Aegis mega ship. And actually, for the first time ever, Aegis took a stand against the Thargoids because the Aegis megaship opened fire on the Thargoids that were in the system. And uh, within about an hour, FDev realized, oops, this is a mistake. And they moved the Thargoids away from that conflict zone or moved the conflict zone away from the Thargoids. But that was the first, he, he comment on it, that's the first and only time we've ever seen Aegis do anything against the Thargoids. It was brilliant. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like I would love for Aegis to actually like be something a bit more conclusive in terms of its actions, and like to actually be a bit more. Uh, I guess the story behind it be a bit more engaging because it's just like it's kind of sad where like they, they put out the Galnet article saying that independent pilots are the best defense that we have currently against the Thargoids. So it's like why the fuck do you exist? <laughs> and How would the, we- other th- the other thing too is like with Eagle Eye, like it actually turns out it can be tied in. Like if a station was on, if one of the Eagle Eye systems where those installations were located that Aegis was in charge of, if Aegis was under lockdown, Eagle Eye wasn't working. Yeah. And I thought that was actually a really cool mechanism. Then they decided to move it to Seoul, and then it's like, oh, that's kind of lame. It'll never like, be locked down again. Yeah. And the other thing too is just like in general, working, you know, players not wanting to work with Aegis and things like that. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, they're supposed to represent the new INRA and like we can't get their motives. Yeah. All these kinds of things, and you know, I get that, and it's it makes for good storytelling for us to say, yeah, we're just going to ignore, we're just going to use the tools they give us and just fight uh, as best we can. And you had these collaborations between Aegis and the engineers; it's kind of kind of like petered off now. Like Ramtas, like collaboration between them has brought no new innovations since like the Guardian fighters, which ended mm-hmm. up being a bit crap. Um, <clears throat> so it's just like, oh, just have a think for a minute if you're going to continue this storyline, how you can actually really make it like impactful to the player base and really want us to engage with these factions that we are a little bit like we should be engaging more with Aegis but we should still hold them at arm's length because it might be just Inra 2.0 I'm a Uh, fan of Inra so whatever (laughs) I'm team people man if it comes down to it like okay yeah the whole thing with Jameson not cool but if you look at any government any large enough group over the history of time any large enough military group there's some of them have made some bad decisions but overall they saved humanity multiple times. So I'm a fan, whatever. But <laughs> I would love to your point. I would love how awesome would it be? Who here would sign up to go to a conflict zone where you jump in with a Inra or sorry, an Aegis mega ship and, and fight against uh, just a, a massive wave after wave of scouts and then followed by interceptors and then followed by, you know, you and an Aegis mega ship versus uh, a uh, Thargoid mothership. I mean, I'd be there for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd definitely be down for that. And uh, it, it's, you know, I've a lot of the things that were promised to us, like, I, not, I shouldn't say promised to us. That's actually like, I know how game development works. Plans change over. Like some of the features that they would have liked to add, let's say, like, and, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, they shouldn't use these trailers where there's like these cinematics that are not going to be like the realistic to the game graphic. Why to the public? Every game company does it, so why the fuck do you expect anyone to be different about it? Yeah. Um, but like, you know, some of that idea where it's like we're in a system and an Aegis megaship suddenly pings us when we're like in a Thargoid infested, and it's like, we're under fucking attack. Get your asses over here, 
you don't have like, you know, and then it's like, if you don't help them, suddenly the system is lost. And then it's like, oh shit, now it's under incursion. Now we got to go, you know, fucking take it back. And I just want more of that. I want the Thargoid story to take the, take the galaxy into a place where the, the actions are meaningful for the Thargoids and then maybe find a new way to interact with, introduce to the Lyoth ships that and, you know, make us wonder like, oh, you know, if the, if, is there another way to introduce Thargoids? Are there two factions of Thargoids? Or there, you know, there, is there any other way to communicate with them, or you know, fighting them? Thargoid is the only one that combat like is, is is destroying us. Their only goal, like as a distraction from their own problems or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want more of that story to be fleshed out, mechanics mm-hmm. brought in that would bring in greater player cooperation. You know, uh, more meaningful interactions between us, packs. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. They do it well, well enough that we're all content with what we got. And you know, no game is ever going to be to the point that we're always going to be happy with exactly how it is. There's always going to be some gripe. Like I saw the other day, someone bitching about the fact that a paint job was a little bit sloppy. I sat there thinking to myself, I can't even remember the last time I actually looked at the third person camera in game to go check out my <laughs> paint job to look for these tiny little details of inconsistency. I'm just like, hey, it looks cool, great, let's go. Yep. yep. <laughs> Like so, it's like oh it's like F Dev is so sloppy they can't you know draw a straight line. All right, yeah. and can you? Yeah. So well, um, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, I was well, going to say, <laughs> you go ahead. Shit. Well, I I, I was going to say that I, we're coming up on our our time here. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything real quick for him? So I just I want you to I know that you're an ambassador to from LRN to the coalition. I know that you're a Hutton trucker. I know that you are uh, many things to many people. Uh, just tell us anything that you've got coming up that you want us to know about. I know ECM 20 is coming up in Cambridge. Is it going to be a big deal for the truckers? I know. Isn't it next weekend? You guys have a big ridge race thing coming on. Hot yeah. mess is going on. Just shout out anything you want real quick. Right, so shout-outs. Uh, right, if you haven't heard about it already, go check out Hot Mess on the forums, uh, You know, it, or Operation Hot Mess, as it may be listed on the forums as well. We're delivering a hut and mug to every single station in the galaxy, and if you want to get involved, uh, the forum explains exactly how, and that would be great if we could get every commander, because this is a chance for us to actually see parts of the galaxy that maybe have not been visited by a human commander yet or find a new station or to even like, you know, see places in space that we never knew existed. Like for us to actually have a chance to explore the bubble. Um, Hudden also has a Ridge race coming up next weekend. Uh, if you'd like to be involved with that, just pop over to the Hudden Discord. Intergalactic Mining Union, we're getting more active again with wing mining events. So please hop onto our Discord if you want to do some wing mining with some great commanders. Um, if you want to get involved with the fight against the Thargoids, please drop off at AFI, uh, AXAFI. Yeah, cross <laughs> shit music. Anyway, um, drop off to AXI. Take, take your time. There's no rush, bud. You got yeah. as much time as you need. Oh, uh, yeah, fair enough. And then, obviously, um, <coughs> if you want to help with repairing the galaxy and getting back to where it should be uh, with all the repaired stations, please join Operation Ida. Uh, I'm trying to go through my Discord list to see if I've missed anything. Oh, and if you are too are also part of an independent faction, uh, and you're interested in working with the coalition, uh, please you know drop into the coalition Discord. We're happy to provide advice, uh, maybe help settle diplomatic agreements. Um, even if you want to join us, you know, and start talking membership and things like that. 
Uh, and, you know, for the casual person who likes to enjoy a bit of CQC, please join the CQC Discord. <laughs> Take over Phoenix the Fire's role right now. Um, <laughs> for the discerning commander. Yes, sorry, a bit of CQC for the discerning <laughs> commander. Please join the CQC Discord. I mean, I'm, I personally would love to do more CQC. I just haven't had the time, unfortunately, to really invest into it. And I really should make, uh, I would love to just see myself get a lead in it one day, which I know is damn near impossible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, these are all great communities. And, you know, on top of that, please support your content creators, whether you agree with their, opin- with their opinions or not. I think it's really important that we actually show a bit of uh, uh, support for the efforts that are going into it. And, you know, there's no greater place than looking at one, this very own podcast that I'm on right now. It's been an absolute pleasure, guys, as well as looking at what Lave Radio done, Hot and Orbital, uh, Radio Sidewinder, uh, Broadcast Cobra, if they're still going for a while, Guardian Frequency, the Guard Frequency, and all these other podcasts, the Yamex, obviously, YouTube and Obsidian Ant, uh, Down to Earth Astronomy, whether you agree or not with their opinions, you know, support them and even support the new guys and, you know, share their content talk to each other, you know, offer whatever support you can word out about. Hmm. And on top of that, within the community itself, support each other. Don't, you know, follow Whedon's law. Don't be a dick. Right on, man. <laughs> right on. So I'm going to extend to you the opportunity. I, I, I'm going to ask you to go to, please go to our show notes channel and include links to any and all of the discords and what have you that you wanted to, because you shouted out a bunch of discords. That way, people that are on our discord, which is uh, tinyurl.com forward slash loose screws pot. Wait, loose, just loose screws. Sorry. Um, Come to our discord. You can go into the show notes channel and you can find all of the links to the IMU, to AXI, to Hutton, to all of these things. So that way, uh, uh, Atris can share all of this cool stuff with you guys. Not everything's going to be for everyone, but when you find the stuff that is for you, man, embrace it. Have fun with it. Exactly. And I can't <laughs> emphasize that enough. That's the only way that you, know, like, you make this community better and you, know, you find new content for yourself because it is a sandbox. You got to make your own fun sometimes. You can't rely on developers to do it. And groups like the Trucker are great for that. And so is the IM. So is Canon. Get involved. Pick a player group. Play with them, fly with them, get to know some new people, you know, really enjoy the, what the game has to offer at the moment, even with all the bugbears you may have with it. Just have fun. It's the most important thing. Yeah, right on, man. Well, I, I just want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us. It's been a great chat. And I think that I, I, I think that me and Kai could probably talk to you all damn day. So <laughs> for sure. I, I think uh, my wife may kill me if, uh, if I stay yeah. on any longer as it is. So, <laughs> right on. Uh, Thank you for joining us. I can't thank you enough. Welcome back anytime. We'll have to get on so we can fill the other 18 hours. Me and, me and Kai got to gotta talk to you about things. So, <laughs> Hey, man, anytime. I'm happy to just, you know, drop me a line. And also, you know, if I can put you in touch with anybody as well within any of the groups I'm part of. Uh, uh, David Braben. Yeah. That's my- <laughs> I, you know, I actually... That's a longer story. I'll go into that another time because otherwise we can be really be here to like, you know, God knows when. Well, you just insured with Ty that there's going to be a part two to this. Yeah, there's a part two now. You just screwed yourself, buddy. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no, guys, anytime. It's, my, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, keep up the great work. I really love what you guys have been doing. And uh, you definitely make my week a lot better when I see the podcast drop every Thanks, week on my Spotify list. So, you know, 
keep it up and uh, I will probably I hate to say it not listen to this particular episode because I hate the sound of my voice but I will be listening to all the upcoming interviews I'm really looking forward to listening to the ones with uh, Waterspoon and Suverine spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't you know who hasn't listened to those yet by this time <laughs> they're good <laughs> alright man thank you thank very you much thank you very much, much. alright take care guys Bye.